Hey, what's good? What's good? What's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the Road Podcast. Uh, it's presented by DJ City. We got the special New York City edition here. Um, one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. We got DJ Never. Yo, what up? We got Jamie the Great. Yep. Uh, DJ D Miles is MIA. Had to head back to Vegas. But we got a special co-host here, my man from Everyday People, one of my favorite dudes in the world, DJ Moma's in the building. What's oh, goody? And um, we got two special guests here. And these dudes, uh, I don't, I don't really know how to intro them, man. They're just, they're just complete legends to everyone in New York City. And uh, I don't know, they're the greatest DJs that they're definitely, in, in, I would say, in my top five DJs of all time. I gotta say that. And I don't, I don't know what else to say. I'm a little, I'm a little <laughs> shook it's right now. Intense. I can't it's remember times. Sometimes. But we we stop, got we got stop being shy, man. I know, I know. Yeah, we got we got Ellie Escobar <laughs> in the building and we got Goldfinger in the building. Yo. 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 I'm clapping for Goldfinger. <laughs> Yo, what's good, fellas? What's good? So we originally wanted to have an episode with Ellie Escobar and we want to have an episode with Goldfinger. And Goldfinger is on some. He's just like I want to. I want to just lay in the cut. I want to lay in the cut. Yeah. yeah, I heard you guys were gonna be having um, Mo and yeah, yeah. I was like, I feel comfortable with these guys. Okay, <laughs> so they can sit in and just hang, hang out and stuff yeah. and stuff. And you and you got some topics you you passionately want to address. Yeah, no, I just listen to the podcast very very carefully. <laughs> he's, <a listener>. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some issues he wants to address with Mo. <laughs> So you guys to, might see a fight in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> so he wants to address them with Mo, and and then we'll see what's good. Uh, but Ellie, uh, people probably don't know this, but we grew up in the same building. Yeah, we did grow up in the same building. And then Neva's from the Bronx, and we went to the same elementary school. I did. I mean, I didn't go from the um, kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade, but I did spend a few you years. You did PS one sixty three. No, I no, started. Yeah, I started PS one sixty three, and then my mom pulled me out because it was horrible. And then I went to PS seventy five for. Four years, and then my mom pulled me out of there because that was horrible. Mm-hmm. And then she brought put me in MCS for three years, and I hated it. Oh, you was in? Oh, you that's right. You were in MCS too. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell oh, you. Shit. Yeah, but but you were uh, what are you three years younger than me or four years something like I that? I think that. Yeah. So um, I went to PS 163. Oh, you did for a little while till first grade. Did your mom pull you out because it was horrible? Uh, it was rough, man. Yeah, I was. was I mean, I was getting harassed. Like I was just. I was getting like. I was getting a lot of like fights and shit mm. in there. And, uh, right. But uh, yeah, I ended up getting. T- I took a test and I got a scholarship at MCS. Oh, okay, cool. And then you know I'm Asian. Uh, stretch, uh, I'm Asian. To MCS you know, my too. mask, my math sheet was like through the roof because I'm Asian. Oh yeah. <laughs> so they were like, "Yo, we need this kid." <laughs> in first grade, your math was through the roof. It was first? through the roof somehow. Wow, I don't wow, know. They were wow. just like, "Yo, we need this kid." So right. And I, I somehow got in there, but cool. But yeah, 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 we grew up in the same building. My mom. You didn't like MCS? It was just because. Um, so if you if you go to the same school for like four years yeah and you all your friends are there or whatever and then your my mom pulled me out i was just mad that, that i was leaving my friends yeah in in high like when i look back now i realize it was a great school and so what we're talking angry. about yeah what we're talking yeah. about mcs is manhattan country school it's on 96th street fifth avenue on fifth avenue yeah. and the the prince the guy who founded it the principal gus trowbridge right mm-hmm. um he was uh very much in civil rights and he like mm-hmm. worshipped mm-hmm. uh martin luther, martin luther king, king jr yeah. and he wanted to create a school that was uh like really diverse and culturally diverse and had all types of different classes in there mm-hmm. so he and obviously it's in the upper east side mm-hmm. so he wanted you know some you know well-to-do kids there but he also wanted like 
he they try to do scholarships and for mm-hmm. like you know so they try to mix it all up so like my classrooms were like i don't know 20 kids in a class and in, 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 in per grade actually or, le- or less yeah actually yeah. actually 20 kids in a grade and then you know it was just like puerto rican dominican black mm-hmm. uh, jewish white yeah Asian. much, much to his mixed. credit he really did succeed with his vision great yeah yeah there's actually a lot of like uh famous people that came out of that school and i was privileged to go to that school yeah yeah it was a good place but i was just mad that i was getting separated from my friends at ps 75 yeah, yeah and i never really got over it so then after uh three years my mom put me back in public school mm-hmm. i was such a stupid kid <laughs> put me back in public school why are you trying to give me a better education <laughs> but like from our na- from our building right from our neighborhood mm-hmm. Uh, we were like right around the corner from the Goat Park, right? Right. Yeah. Which right. was PS one sixty three, and then we had like uh, I didn't know them, but like those guys were kind of like the OGs in the building. Mm-hmm. But it was like Curious George mm-hmm. and uh, Lord C. Lord mm-hmm. C didn't live there, he didn't but live he would come around yeah. all the time. Yeah. And then, but also to rewind a minute, uh, yeah, yeah. a little bit, um, the park across the street from our building is where um, Crazy Legs and Frosty Freeze and the whole Rocksteady crew practiced. So you could you could see them practicing there in the early '80s, which was pretty amazing. And they had wow, the Rocksteady yeah. Park Jam there. And yeah, and uh, the way I discovered that was I was just um, hanging out at my friend's uh, house, and you know how some of the houses had balconies. Yeah, yeah. In the building, so in the summer of '93, we were hanging out on a balcony, and I I could hear KRS One across the street. Yeah. And I was like, "What the hell is going on?" So we ran downstairs and, and uh, to the park, and and he was uh, performing. And and then that was how I discovered that that part. But that was the first summer anyway. So I yeah, we used to call it the Rocksteady Park. Yeah, yeah. isn't that Rock what it's called? Park. Yeah, it it was a couple of names. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's like the, it's officially the Goat Park, though. Right? Okay. Yeah, that's named after um a famous uh, streetball player. Yeah. I can't remember his oh, name. Oh, Goat er, Earl no. the Goat. Yeah, yeah. Earl, Earl the Goat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And then so like uh, we would see Curious George, right? Yeah, I, just, I used to get terrorized by that whole crew. Right. Yeah. It was terrorized. Why they used to fuck with y'all? Um, I was like so. By the time I hit like uh, sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade, I started getting into like skateboarding mm-hmm. and like listening to punk rock and stuff that wasn't like really that normal around our, our block. And yeah, I would get a little bit like made fun of when I would leave the house. They'd be like <laughs> radical dude, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> radical and, uh, dude. Whatever. But then, you know, later on, it's like you all grow up and it's cool. Mm-hmm. And then once they saw that I was hanging out with Bobito, I got a little bit more like respect, you know. You got some juice. <laughs> yeah. I just remember like my mom's knowing Curious George's mom, mm. and then Cotty. Remember Cotty? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that dude like <laughs> was the scariest motherfucker ever. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, like I would be like mad young, and like Curious George's mom would be like, "Yeah, you should like come up to, ha- like knock on our door and hang out with yeah. Curious George and hang out with those guys." I'm like, yeah. "Yo, those guys are like drug dealers or something." They just like, used to I can't sit. In, with those kids. They would just <laughs> sit in the lobby. That whole crew would just sit in the lobby, mm-hmm. just like. To me, it seemed like they're just sitting there waiting to give all the kids that come downstairs mean looks. Yeah. Is that all they do all day? Like, <laughs> Was this before he was rapping? Not yeah, because then I remember when I saw the video for Walk Like a Duck on TV, I was like, oh, man, that's the kid from our building. I didn't know he was rapping. I think he had sort of made a name for himself kind of like just on the street as a, as a rapper, but. I had mm-hmm. no idea. I was too young, you know. You saw him like on Video Music Box, right? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. talking about like how he was supposed to get signed to um, Def Jam. Russell Sims offered him a million dollar contract. I think that's true. And yeah, then he turned I it down. Oh, I don't know about that. 
<laughs> I mean, he signed with Columbia. He said he turned it down. Yeah, eventually he signed with Columbia. Probably when Bob was working at Def Jam, maybe he tried to bring him in. Could be that, yeah. It could be that. And then Bob left and started a label with Pete Nice. And they, oh, brought, they brought Curious in. And That's they were trying right. to get Nas, too, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not. No, I'm not sure about that. Okay. Don't, yeah, don't quote me on that. But, I mean, Columbia ended up signing Nas. Big L. Big L. Mm-hmm. But it's also like oh. they didn't know what to do yeah, with hip hop. With that marketing yeah. department, yeah. Right? They had like Pete Nice, MC Search. Mm-hmm. But none of those albums like really popped off. Nah, they didn't. Because Curious George, like the, the first Walk Like a Duck, it, it did it got all right. A little buzz. Def- I mean, in New York, it but definitely then, had some but buzz. Then, yeah. up, but then Uptown shit was like, that was a big record. I, for us, it was a big record. Yeah. But you got to, like, mm-hmm. this is a, a story I'll never forget. Um, The first time I met Dante Ross, I was like, you know, kind of like, you know, I was I was working at a record store and he was there digging, and I was like, man, so what's it like to um, have been involved with that brand Nubian album? Because that's like, if you were in New York in 1990, the brand Nubian album was the record. Yeah, and I was like, did it go platinum? And he was he looked at me like I was out of my mind, and I think he said it sold maybe 150 thousand copies. You know why? That's and it was bootleg. That was platinum. But also the regional the regional aspect of it. It's like. You growing up in New York during that time, it felt like the whole world cared about these records. But well, outside you look of New back York, now, you're like, yeah, like, hip hop wasn't even that it. big yet. You know, like it really wasn't. Well, it seemed like it was. Brand New did pretty well around the country. It was just like did they? They, they did like yeah. the tours, the college tours. The st- yeah, exactly. And that's what was like popping at that time. Right. But they were so they were like one of the few. Because I worked in a record store at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, which record store were you? Beach at? Street Records in Brooklyn. Oh, that's oh right. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I worked at all the record stores. You guys in Brooklyn, didn't. You guys didn't know. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. He was the face of Beach Street. He probably sold you a hundred records. Yeah. I you know, to be honest, I never I never really went there. That yeah, long. it was far. It was far. I rarely went to Beach Street. Yeah. yeah, I just went to Rock and Soul. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. that's crazy. They're, they're, um, they're, that era was like the most bootlegged right. era. Right, it was. And then this was at the same time when they were planning on, um, they were trying to stop printing vinyl for albums. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they were doing singles, but we're like Warner Brothers, Electra, Atlanta. Atlanta. They all decided that they weren't going to, um, you know, book. Yeah. I mean, like they weren't going to like put out vinyl anymore. And, you know, there was no way you could really get those albums because all those albums came out as exports. I mean, imports, In, rather. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or they would have the long box CD, which cost, totally. which was really expensive. Totally. Right? So totally. that was a little bit of a weird transitional. Totally. Uh, but anyway, my point was that I felt like it opened my eyes to how really regional these are. So you could be like, yo, but Walk Like a Duck was really popping off. But I think it's it's like you got to think about the rest of the country, you know? And yeah, I mean, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for us it was like the anthem, yeah. and I was just like, we were just really proud, like, yo, that's yeah. Shit I was, I mean, I wasn't even cool with them, but I was like, yo, there's a rapper in my building, yeah. like this yeah. is crazy. <laughs> um, but what do you call it? So you were you were actually working, you were at B Street Goldfinger, and then you were actually at uh, Bobito's record store, mm-hmm. and you were, it was Footwork, right? Yep. yep. And I actually didn't, I didn't even, I've. That, but I know about the label Fondalum, right? Mm-hmm. But I just didn't know he had a record store. Yeah, it right. was like right around the corner from Fat Beats, the original Fat Beats. No, no, no. So it was actually so. I think in '96, Fat Beats moved over to Sixth Avenue. They got a bigger space, but and then and Bob, so Bob took and Bob over took the old Fat the old, Beats. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh shit! So wait, that that was never the original yeah. Fat Beats on nah. Sixth Avenue upstairs. No, nah. the original Fat Beats was really small. Well, really you, small. you never went to Footwork either. No, it's like half the. Like half the size of this room. Oh, that was really? the, well, maybe like uh, two thirds of this room. That was the original Fat Beats. Yeah. And then so Bob took it over, 
in 96 and and uh kind of started like the first like uh it was like a version sneaker, of yeah it was sneaker like, shop and a record yeah, store it's like kind of like fool's gold is now like, yeah i don't know i've never been there sold, like independent records okay and, and basically it was a store that sold everything else but little like niche stuff like, yeah exactly almost like dope. like you're like selling a lifestyle kinda yeah like pretty much but he was selling um he had like really ridiculous sneaker connections so he was selling secondhand or unworn out of print sneakers which is kind of like the um original flight club right right, yeah, right, right idea right, right so. and then videotapes too because he used to yeah have like style and shit yep, like that. yeah and like this he used to sell like a lot of promo 12 inches as well right? yeah so i would like get a lot, lot of them shit. too that yeah, was the that best you, that was hard to find that he used to have yeah because he was always like he would be like uh well i already played it twice uh -huh. so i don't need it anymore right, and i'd be like what what's wrong with you like because i save everything and uh yeah so he would like you know get a promo that everyone wanted like i remember <laughs> yeah. he had the off the books white label yeah that's, that I I record was, from there yeah and uh it wasn't really they didn't even make the real relativity promo yet it was yeah. just the white label mm -hmm. and i was like yeah. that shit. he was like it's cool i don't know you know and like <laughs> <laughs> and uh and play he was like i played it you can have it now yeah. i still got it so how did you how did you link up to that record store you just um, went in for to get a job no so that's uh, not that long of a story um when i was in college which, was, where did you go? You went upstate, uh, right? SUNY Purchase. SUNY, okay. Yeah. I was thinking it was like RISD or one of those. One of those <laughs> ones, yeah. Uh, when I went to SUNY Purchase, I was uh, really involved. And I, it kind of surprises me now, but because uh, I was kind of like way shyer back then and, and reserved. But I was throwing parties all the time, hmm. promoting parties and uh, putting just making stuff happen up at, on campus. So I threw a party one, one time and I, um, I booked Bob to host it. And um, I didn't really know him. And uh, but he's from our building too. We didn't really actually mention that, did we? He's from 120. Oh, you didn't know that? Really? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Thirteenth floor. Are you serious? Yeah. Holy yeah, shit! How you not know that? Man? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's Damn, he's man. like um, nine years older than me, so he's significantly older than Crooked. Damn, oh, I didn't shit. know. I'm, yeah. I feel like a, nah, like our building's like some legendary <laughs> fucking. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> yeah, so you know, always saying like, Yo, Ellie grew up in my building. We grew up in the same building. Now I he's know. gonna be Barbito and uh, there was a basketball player, Mario Eli. Was he famous? Yeah. Yeah? He was from He's our building, easy. too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Damn, that fucking building was legendary. <laughs> I'm the last disappointment. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went on there after you. <laughs> to me, I was like, yeah. They were like, yeah. So anyway, I booked this party. Bob came up to host. He was just on the mic, kind of emceeing the party. And uh, we were we were hanging out, and I was and I was like, you know, we grew up in the same building. And uh, and then he we were sort of talking, and he was like, oh, I know your mom, you know? And um, so then, like winter break or something like that i went i went down to check out his store and he had, he was like you want a job so it was oh, just shit. like that yeah wow man and um and, and then how did you get into b street <clears throat> i got into b street just by um well long stories um i used to just be like infatuated with buying records it was since i was like very very young mm -hmm. my mom used to take me to buy records like from really really young so my zone school wasn't really a zone school for me. I was like kind of like an elevated type, type of, you know, learning type thing. So I went out of my neighborhood to go to, you know, elementary and junior high school. Mm -hmm. So when I would get off from school, the, the, the bus that I would take would take me back downtown, downtown uh, Brooklyn. And it would be like three, four different record stores there. So I would just go to every single record store, find out what, I, you know. 
and I just would just be there all the time. It would be to the point where I would be there so much that I would like sweep up and shit. So the Wait, guy, they the would guy, just give you a broom. Or the, shit or? Nah, I just pick it up because I would be there, and then you know people like you know yo, you know this song, and they come in humming in, and like yo, what's the song? And I'll be like, oh, that's that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And then after a while, I would just be like, you know, just ask, ask, ask him if he knows. You know what I mean? And I would know. Yeah. Then just came into a point where they were just like, yo, you want you want a job here? I was like, what? Like I, <laughs> I actually get to. I should get paid to do this shit. Yeah, because I'm spending like lunch money on records and shit. So, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't, I mean, that's one of the things I guess that probably doesn't exist anymore, but like people our age, like I feel like working at a record store was like almost just as important as getting uh, gigs in the club. No, it was, was I think it was more important. Yeah, maybe more. It was like the dream, like, oh, I work at a record store, you know, like, because it it was, you know, now you can go on your phone, you can search a a song and you can get the song, but. Mm -hmm. Back then, you you were just mm-hmm. like lost. It was mm-hmm. like you had to leave your gold. house. Yeah, yeah, leave your house to go <laughs> to the record store it, to get that record. But it was yeah. even like, who do you talk to about which record store to go to, and who, where do you know? Well, you got you to know? know people. That was the amazing thing about totally. yeah. record totally. store culture. Totally. Was, totally. Yeah, meaning. I mean, people I remember the first time I stumbled onto Rock and Soul. I thought I found like, I was like, yo, this is like, this is like crazy. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it was just, and I was there like maybe three to four times a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like copping records and then you just kind of just searched around and then we would dig everywhere after yeah. that. And then you get yeah. to know people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have so many friends that I still see on the street and it's like, I only know you because right. I always saw you at yeah. record stores. Yeah. You know? But it's something very personal, very, um, I think it's almost, um, it's humbling to know that you can have a connection with people through music. Definitely. Right? And yeah. it's like, you know, you can actually build a relationship through mm-hmm. just, oh, I remember I sold you that song or mm-hmm. we had that connection off of that song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. that's, that's, it's dope. Okay? Were y'all it's like super thing. friendly to like new people or you guys were like, like Only, he was friendly and I was terrible. I, I, think, I think I was, I think I was really friendly because I would, I, I kind of like helping and I kind of like problem solving shit like that. Yeah. People coming in, oh, I need this record or, you know, this or, Putting somebody onto something that they so you weren't they the, haven't heard you weren't the dude like let's say I just walked in and I was like 16 years old and I was like yo I don't know the song but I hear it everywhere and blah 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 nah that was my shit I do that shit now you do that because I, I would go now. to some record yeah. stores and they would and they would be like yo this dude's young like I'm I, they would like ignore me they walk away or they would just be like whatever mm-hmm. and that's that was probably Ellie right no well <laughs> <laughs> if you ask Bob he would say yes. The original staff Fat Beats was actually the ultimate uh, kind of snobby, unfriendly record store staff. And I remember going in there and feeling so crappy after leaving. Like, yeah. And I even I don't even remember even ask. I never used to really ask anyone about records because I was just too shy anyway. But I remember just being like, why are they so rude? Right. You know what I mean? And uh, once I got a job there, I was like, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be like that. And then uh, during the when I worked at Bob's store, I was just like really introverted i don't think it was that i didn't want to help people but that i sort of realized like when you work retail you're always available to the public like you have to be you have to be that's the job like like, you never know what's gonna and people used to really hang out hard at that store like crews of kids like and um sometimes i would just be overwhelmed by it like there's just too many people talking to me like asking me questions and then when I, i worked at fat beats for like a year after that um I really couldn't deal with it. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. I wish I could have been like you because I remember going to to Beach Street and you always had a smile on your face. And yeah, like, it was you like know, this like, is the job. Like that was yeah. like my favorite job ever. Yeah, and I did retail a lot of different places. Like I worked at a Gap. I worked mm-hmm. at like different mm-hmm. places. Yeah. So it was like, you know, I knew what retail is. You know right. what I mean? But right. the record store is like something totally different. Yeah. So like, even if I'm not even working, you can might 
like you might, you might find do, me at yeah, a record yeah, store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might find me at A one. Just be like, right. what the fuck are you doing? Here? And now I hang out at I hang out at A one at least once a week for like hours. You just got to. Yeah, I just have to. Yeah, so it's, it's, I think I'd be a better uh, record store employee now. <laughs> than, I was, than I was when I was 19 or 20 whatever yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing stories about Rock the kind of turntable ladder oh yeah just like That's belittling the customers stuff. and just like yeah. I never beli- I want to make that clear yeah. I never belittled anyone and I was never like so you were like kind of from I was my just boat right shy yeah yeah. and, I, and I, I was just like kind of like man this is not people never stop coming in here so you yeah. which is good for the store like so you I, wasn't like that intentionally it was just like no you was shy. i was so i was just, uh, it was like i was like i only came out of my shell i think in my 30s like like late 20 like that's why i wanted to be a dj in the first place like um i didn't want anyone to look at me like obviously it's weird because now everyone looks at the dj right but mm-hmm. yeah i wanted to be kind of in the back controlling the room but yeah, i didn't want to have yeah. to like actually have your face show <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's exactly. kind of the difference that uh the how like djing has evolved right because the dj actually wanted to be uh, at the party Behind the scenes. they wanted to be at the party but they didn't want to be they weren't kind of like they weren't uh like so outgoing to be like the life of the party right but they wanted to be a part of, part of it, it. And then they were like, and then we were just fascinated on controlling the people. Yeah, I mean, when I started going out clubbing in in, in the early '90s, and like you would see like the um, the dudes from Brooklyn with like the dreads and jabos like in the middle of the dance floor, like really <laughs> dancing. I knew I wasn't gonna be that right. guy, or you know, and I wasn't a good dancer at all. And then I would usually like go to Soul Kitchen and just like stare at the records. So I kind of put it together pretty quickly. Like yeah, yeah. I think I'm supposed to be back here and. Uh, was yeah. that how would you go finger with that? Well, my thing was it was always music. Like my mom's, she collected music. My pops collected music, so music was always my thing. Mm-hmm. Like I never really wanted to do anything else, yeah. and it's like I just found it really, really early. And when I tell people, I was like, "Yo, I started DJing when I was like seven years old." People look like you, seven years old, you, you're cooking crazy. But like, if you think of like the DJ Just, like you know that kid DJ Just, like from back in the days. Oh. He's like I, the I little know. little small kid. On I know who's talking about. Oh right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had a little, and he was DJing. I was like nine years old. He's cutting up and you know doing all this stuff, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it didn't seem weird to me at that point. Yeah. That it would be somebody that age that mm. was doing it. No. Because that's just weird. how I grew up. Yeah. And did you uh, did you have two turntables by the time? You oh no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got my first record player at seven years old. I didn't. I didn't like. I didn't want a bike. I didn't mm-hmm. want yeah, nothing. Yeah. I used yeah. to like collect baseball cards mm-hmm. and records. And one day it was like my baseball cards were all over the floor or whatever, whatever I was doing. And my mom's like, choose. Either there's going to be these records, these baseball cards. And I had dope baseball cards. Too. And I threw them away because I was just like, fuck it. You know what I mean? I was just going to do the records. And I just did the records. And then from there, yeah. that was just it. Who were some of your influences going? Uh, wait, wh- wh- what part of New York are you from? Did well, I'm from I'm from downtown Brooklyn, and I'm from a place called Wyckoff, Wyckoff Gardens, and um, Wyckoff is special because it's the birthplace of Houdini. Houdini uh, lived there. Oh shit! Houdini lived on the 17th floor. I lived on the 14th floor. All right, oh, so wow. we we got nothing on this guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I mean, yeah. especially. Just the whole yeah. building up. I mean, so I remember when there was only two albums out: Run DMC's and Houdini. Yeah, so it yeah. was it was real big. Like we 
like the people in the projects we, we saw them leave for fresh vest yeah wow. i'm so glad i'm glad we That's talked crazy, about our man. building first <laughs> before your building <laughs> nah that was it was it was pretty shout good. out to curious <laughs> yeah yeah shout out to curious um nah it was pretty big um that was a big thing like we used to have like red alert come do like kiss parties like near our hood and stuff like that wow. it was a big thing you had like big djs you had um big bob from like empire skating ring so he was really big then you had like flowers but he was at the end of his career but he mm. was like he used to do power he was like the parties the beginning. yeah it was like you know he used to do like big block parties and stuff for that nature like in the, the big parks um then like mills baby mills and just you know it was just there was a lot of talent in in you know the area and then not too far from there was like you know fort green so you know with all that stuff with you know, then later on with Kane and that area, and so it was like our little section was 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 pretty rocking. So when you were DJ, when you were getting into DJing and seven, what, what was your focus? My focus was just to be able to do it because I didn't have equipment. Was it mixing or was it? No, my thing was um, when just having the records. The the, the mm. records was the most important thing. It would right. be like you would have to listen to the radio for like two three hours mm -hmm. to finally hear something new. Right. Because you would you if you listen to radio hip hop radio Friday and Saturday you listen to the whole mm -hmm. show from seven to twelve you know right. you'd listen you yeah. listen the whole way we would, I, mean? I mean we would record it on cassette yeah yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. but most of those songs if you heard them you heard them again you heard they played them yeah, again yeah. or whatever they repeated them or whatever and then if you taped them you pretty much had them on tape so that right. means you had them you know what I mean yeah. Until they came out on record, until you can have them physically, you had it on tape. So you would just wait for that new record that nobody had heard or he hadn't played before. And then usually Red Alert would come with some joint mm -hmm. and you get it on tape and you hopefully you get it from the beginning because, you know. Yeah. It, it, it was it was really like remember was, that feeling when you didn't catch it from the beginning yeah, yeah. but but it's then, like i don't really but, have it but then it's like if your friend was up and then he yeah, had it he true. would trade yeah. a song you'd be yeah. like yo you heard this song and then let me get that from the beginning you trade this shit was amazing it and was I'm, like the best time in the world i'm trying to think about what was the the what was the time the span of time from when a dj was let's say a dj broke a record red alert broke a, a record on the radio right what was the time when you were able to actually buy that record? Um, it was pretty quick, actually. It was pretty quick, but not quick in these terms. Like now, it's like you can go and yeah, get yeah. something off of the fucking internet the next day. Yeah. But like, uh, the one, the one example I can say is um, the South Bronx, right? The South Bronx happened, and that was on acetate, and they brought that to Red Alert, and Red Alert played that at Latin Quarter, right? Mm -hmm. So they played that record. My friend went to the Latin Quarter that night. He got punched in his eye. <laughs> right? Because the Latin Quarter was real, real rough. Yeah, so yeah. he was young. So he must have been about, what, I must have been about 14, 15. He must have been about 16, 17. Went to Latin Quarter. This is Latin King, Quarter on 97? No, no Latin no, no, Quarter no, 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 in the no. 44th. Like, 44th. Like right 44th. in the middle of right so in the I didn't know this Latin like Quarter. Barney. I knew the 97th Street Latin Quarter. Yeah, that was like later on in the years. This is the original This LQ. This is the LQ. Okay, okay. All right, so he goes He goes to Latin Quarter and... um. He gets punched in the eye, whatever, this, that, and the third. And I see him in the elevator, and he's got, like, a visor over his shit. Like, and this shit is rocked, like, speed knot. Big, like, his whole face is, like, half his face is swollen. I'm like, yo, what the fuck? He's like, yo, man, went to the club last night. <laughs> I'm like, what? He was like, yeah, man. 
I'm going back. <laughs> I'm looking at this nigga like he's crazy. Like, yo, you can't be serious. He was like, yo, the bridge is over. The bridge is over. I mean, no, he was saying, um, um, South, was saying South Bronx, South Bronx, South Bronx, South Bronx. But then it was a span of maybe that week or maybe in two weeks, the bridge is over came out. It was uh, that quick. It was that quick? It was that quick where the response happened. That quick. But the records hadn't come out. Right. Because the record was um, Word From My Sponsor and South Bronx. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, right after that, it was Bridges Over was out. It was like, how the fuck? And it was just like magic. It was just, it was like you heard it on the radio and then every, it became a sensation. Like Roxanne, Roxanne. Roxanne, Roxanne came out. I remember when that And came then out. Roxanne was a man came right out. Roxanne was gay. Roxanne is this. Roxanne's a man. Roxanne Roxanne's this. doctor. Roxanne. Roxanne's doctor. <laughs> Roxanne's got herpes. You know what I mean? It's like, it was so many Roxanne's, but they came Roxanne right really after fast. because yeah. it was no labels. It was just like, let me get this shit pressed up and let me put it out. But you know it wasn't they available were selling for so many records too. No, that was what actually, it was it was available, but after yeah. it first came out, mm. once it sold out, you couldn't find it for a while. It was that type of the turnaround was bad. Yeah, you get what I'm saying? Just yeah. like restocking and shit. There and you then, go. Was there you was go. it vinyl? Was it all acetate? Vinyl. No vinyl, vinyl. Vinyl. Did you did you ever? I don't know if the Wiz was still around. On 90, yeah, the Wiz was on 97. Yeah. yeah, so I used to go to the Wiz when I was in those years. Like I bought Roxanne's uh, Revenge at the Wiz. They had a hole downstairs with just twelve inches on the wall. Dude, we had the best block though. The What's fact that, that the, we had the best block. The fact that we could walk two blocks down to there Broadway, Ninety Seventh yeah, yeah, Street, definitely. and go to the Wiz. Yeah, and there was also the some other record stores, Spanish record stores on uh, one on Ninety Six and one on like Hundred past that pizza place on Hundred and or Ninety Eighth or whatever. But they would also sell um, like all the record stores had a section that were like twelve inches. Where you could get yeah. all the you know club stuff right, and hip hop. I got you beat. I got you beat. My no, area, <laughs> Albee Square Mall. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So 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 you got to think the Albee Square Mall. Did they have a record store in Albee Square Mall. They had record stores, but it yeah. wasn't really like weird destination. Like yeah, how, everything outside of the yeah. the mall area were destination. Right. You had like Music Factory. You had the Wiz at one mm-hmm. time. You had Crazy mm-hmm. Eddie's. Mm-hmm. You had mm-hmm. Powerhouse. You yeah, had yeah, Music yeah. Factory. You had Beach Street. Right. Jackpot was crazy so it beach, was like, and beach street was already around in the mid 80s um late, late, eight, late, late 80s, 80s yeah. like 88 right and right, right. i worked at like powerhouse before then oh, and then just moved down the block right. and then when beach street came it was like they had already knew me because i already yeah. worked down there oh actually clark kent used to work at music factory down right down there as well yeah. dj clark kent. Yeah. yeah yeah i fucking i i, I, I i'm trying to remember like how when a when we heard a record on the radio, like if I heard Gangstar Mass Appeal, like when did that shit, like how long did it take to come out? It really was, it, it depends. It depends. Yeah. Cause like, especially once college radio uh, really took over, you had people like um, getting stuff on that. So, you know, like, uh, like Stretch and Bobito is the best example. They got, they were friends with everybody. So Premiere might give them a dat of a new song. Yeah. And Stretch would start playing it like, it could be like three months early or four months early. So like in the two thousands, right? When like let's say I don't know, like put your hands where I could see, uh, Busta Rhymes came out, right? That's not ninety eight. Yeah, 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 sorry, I'm really horrible. With it. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, guys. Right? sorry guys. Sorry guys. Damn, they all came out. I got triple. I got triple teamed. I got triple teamed right now. It was four. I actually, you know what? I actually have a a funny story about that song. Not a funny story, but it's all related to this. Um, I DJed at El, Flamin- El Flamingo. Yes, yeah, that was 20- a spot. Totally. El totally. Flamingo, 
when that record had just hit the radio and i was still it was what 98 or 97, 97. 97. Yeah. so i was just getting in with like the in like knowing promo people and stuff i wasn't like all the way there to the point where i was getting everything and i didn't have that record mm -hmm. and the, i the first thing the promoter asked me when i got to the club was you got you got put your uh whatever it's called yeah and i was like no i didn't get it yet yo he got mad at me Mm -hmm. And he's like, we need to figure this out, and like, literally, like, yeah, was, was freaking gonna, out. Yeah, that was gonna. That and was I, gonna he had, I guess he had a, something, or maybe a cell phone. Like it was '97, he had a cell phone. He started making calls, and like, two hours later, I met the Electra promo person for the first time. And they came and brought it. Yeah, you wow. had like that's how. Like, yeah, you know, Yo, that, that yeah. actually that took a while for it to come out on 12 inch. Only the promos. They only yeah. released the promos at the time. Yeah, it was right. Only, it was only promos. Yeah, for that's I why I didn't have. I remember I got it at Kim's video. <laughs> they used yeah. to have promos yeah, also. They did. Yeah, that's yep. why. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. thinking back then, like I I didn't know where to get that shit, and I would go to Rock and Soul. But I was trying to think when that came out, and it played on the radio, would they take it from the radio, or someone in the radio station would just repress it onto like the killer cuts, or, like those bootleg so. labels? Nah, the, nah, a lot of those a lot of those bootleg joints happen, and I have to give up the ghost. A lot of those joints happen because um, the guys that used to do the classic remakes or the you know like the before i let go mm -hmm. tk discos mm -hmm. i mean like yeah, those, yeah. Type, those type yeah. of they actually did those mm -hmm. they actually put those records out and they only really did it because i kind of like suggested them to do certain records mm -hmm. and then it just got out of control out of control right. like so you 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 spoke <clears throat> with them and you told them yeah that? yeah totally because i used to be a buyer at the store so and so you're like everyone's looking for these everybody's everything. looking for these records or this record needs to be put out and then it was kind of like uh did you handpick the songs and how which most ones? of them really most of them wow so, so were, a lot, of, a lot of the things a lot of the things was um the labels like i was saying before the labels were really trying to cut out vinyl Mm. Like we're the Warner Brothers, Electra Atlantic, they were really trying to dead vinyl. For, for what though? They because it was just cost cost. Right, right. So if the biggest conglomerate of you know people that was doing hip hop at that point dead it hip hop or dead it vinyl, that's when like KRS was like on his album. Oh, we need vinyl. They're killing <laughs> us. That was the same era. That was the same era. It's ninety. 90, 92, 93. So that's why like Das Effects wasn't on vinyl. I was, was pissed off about that. Um, Diamond was never on um, mm -hmm. vinyl. was only import. Mm -hmm. Brand new being, all that stuff was all in the same label, same, you know, type mm -hmm. of situation. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a lot of those records, if you think about it, like Sally, the Gotta One Track Mine, was on a bootleg. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't on a single until after it got big. And then it was certain like certain little picks like step to the rear. It was so low on the album. You had to right, have it on a bootleg yeah. just so you can hear it well right. in the clubs. So a lot of these are like the little suggestions that I made or you know, or like brand brand Nubian. You had to have a little bit more of an ump to it because the, the album was pressed so bad. Yep. Because they didn't want to press them. What's the song that had no bass in it? <laughs> Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill album was horrible. Yeah, horrible. horrible. And then on top of that, Cypress Hill's album was had a glitch in it, so it was a scratch already in the vinyl. On everybody's copy. On everybody's <laughs> copy. After they made the certain yeah, certain batch, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was yeah. a, it was a it was a scratch already in it. Yeah. So it was already a rare album, and then on top of it, it was a scratch in it. So right. now we got to do singles, or we got to do bootlegs. You know what I mean? Wow. So hand in the pump, all that stuff was on bootleg first before they started putting on this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Had to, had to.
I I just remember like before you got the the plug for the promo records and all the all the promo guys. Yeah, you had to buy those. You had to buy you had to. I, my yeah. whole. Yeah. At one point, my whole record crate was just all bootlegs. <laughs> yeah, like, but they, they were pushing everybody to buy CDs, and they were really cutting out the singles. Actually, mm-hmm. they they didn't get it. And I'm coming from a retail background. I was yeah, like, yeah. we used to have meetings and go to like these conferences and talk about the other mom and pops. Yo, we need this because this is how we train our customers. Right, right. And they didn't get that point of it. They just thought. We make so much money off of the CD. It costs us 70 cent for mm-hmm. the CD and we making this shit 15.99, 19.99 for the CDs. We're making so much money they didn't care. Buy the CD. How much was the album costing to make? Or the vinyl cost to make? Oh, it's costing a lot more. Way it's costing more. like 4 yeah. or $5. Okay. Yeah. And then they would sell it for like 7 mm-hmm. yeah. $8 maybe. Yeah. And if it was a double, what you needed at that point because people were making more songs. The more songs you have, you know, the, the less validity mm-hmm. you have on the, on the mm-hmm. vinyl. So you had to make double vinyl. You know what I mean? And yeah, it yeah. just weighed too much. So that's where the bootlegs came in at. It's, I, I was always wondered like how they put those together because those those saved my life, the prince. <laughs> Having like, you know, with like multiple albums, like all the hits for multiple albums on yeah. like on A side A and side yeah, B. Yeah, but by that time, if that wasn't really the purpose of them. The purpose wasn't for, for you to have the record yeah. and for you to have it to where you can play it in the club right. and keep it going. Mm-hmm. Or if it was a single that you weren't going to buy that album, like um, fucking Arrested Development. <laughs> you know, that remix. That right. remix was a big, yeah, but was- it was like, yo, they don't have that version on the fucking album. You got to right. put it out. Right. And then until the bootleg came out, they didn't realize that that was the joint you had to have. So then they put the single out. Does that still happen? In, I'm going to confess that I'm not really. I listen to hip hop still, but I'm not like in it, like obsessed with it the way I was as a, a kid. Does it still happen where the version that everyone wants to hear in the club or they, they, they play on the radio or there's in the video is not the version on the album? Totally. Oh, yeah. Fucking that was one totally. of the great tragedies of the 90s. Like you buy the Black Sheep album and you'd be like, this is not the right version. What is this? Yeah. Yeah. Choice yeah. is yours. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean music like the hip hop right remember now? when AZ's album came out the um, Your World Don't Stop was right. mad weird yeah. I was like that was his they best song what did he do yeah exactly yeah, yeah. were well, you saying that the hip hop right now if it's the I was just asking if that's still a thing where like the one that everyone wants to hear is not the one that's on the album oh but you can just it's, buy anything on iTunes right I mean I, right nowadays it's, it is it's usually the album cut right it, it's, it's a certain you know versions that is, is different but it's a yeah, different yeah. dynamic right because yeah. like a meme could take a song from just being an album cut to being number one, right? Like with uh, right, Drake's right. In My Feelings. So nobody really needs a, a different version. People right. just cop whatever's on right, the album. Right, 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 right. And yeah, no one's making really albums like that anymore. I mean, like the singles are coming out and then they start remixing it or changing it out. And then usually the first version right now is horrible, sounds horrible because it's not mixed down or it's oh, pro- right. They leak it. Like they, they leak it or it, yeah. was, it was produced from some kid in his bedroom. He who didn't know how to master it, and he just gave it, sold it to the rapper. The rapper recorded it, right? And he just pushed the, the so center that's, digital. That's for new artists, yeah, like the new SoundCloud artists. Yeah. You know what I mean, no, but that's even Drake. Uh, in my feelings, that happened, where like this it was the, the song, it was, it was not mixed properly. It was it not mastered it properly. Sounds, sounds it still bad. sounds horrible in the club. Yeah, there's a couple, there's multiple records like that. I think that even Tatiana at some point was. I have like three different versions that are mixed yeah. down differently with like. The Cardi B remix sounds totally different from the original. Yeah, the instrumental sounds different. Yeah, it's just yeah. all just all mixed horribly. It's just like digital copies just getting emailed and sent, and then someone's mastering it differently. Than right, the other. right, right. Yeah, they're just pushing it out. 
Yeah, yeah. Just pushing about the sound of the sound quality. Right, right. Well, I can't really shit on you know all the new stuff because no, back in the days in the nineties, it was some really no. horrible yeah, sound. Yeah, especially the mid eighties. <laughs> I mean, the mid. I mean, you had Marley just making records in his house. And, no, but those sound. Those they were, sound good. But they it's, sound but great. It's, it's kind of like charming, though. Yeah. It's like, like you listen to like um, just rhyming with Biz and 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 Big Daddy Kane's mic is distorting. Oh, no, totally, totally. But, but it's that, the best. But it had character yeah, exactly, to it. Exactly. You know what exactly. I mean? So that, and that's how I feel about a lot of the new stuff. I, I actually really like a lot of the new stuff I hear, even though I'm not like completely knowledgeable about it, because I can feel like, oh, some kid just made this in his right, room. I right, love stuff right, like that. Right, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about like more like the 90s, like, like you 93. Had like, 93 was a 93 horrible, was a horrible year. Horrible year, man. And horrible to the stage. And to okay. the stage, Wu Tang. Wu Tang was a horrible, horrible. sound. Yeah, horrible yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you had like even a Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg was clear, but it was too crispy. Too so crispy. when you played it yeah. in the club, the shit was like. That's yeah. why the singles rang off so much mm-hmm. on Snoop yeah. Dogg shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Midnight Marauders. Was, Midnight Marauders was Midnight until Marauders they did the, until they did the double press. Yeah, but the singles yeah. was so dope. Yeah, they knew mm-hmm. how to mix records. They knew how to if mix anybody records. knew how to mix records. It was Bob Powers, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Fucking engineer. But they had so many records on the album that it kind of lowered the the, the whole yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. it didn't sound yeah. good like yeah. the album yeah. cuts. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't yeah. play in the clubs. You couldn't play them. Yeah. So like moving forward from Fat Beats from Beat Street, Ellie, you actually did Fondalem Records. No, I mean I. Didn't. I mean you 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 the, worked at. Worked yeah, we, well, I worked at the store. What happened? Oh, you mean like I put out a record on Final? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't I, even I, know this record. It was I, I I really would like to not I talk about that. <laughs> I came across it, it last night. <laughs> you know. <laughs> See, I, I, think, gonna, I was gonna. I, think I was gonna, gonna pe- play no, the record. No, don't play. I, I think some people. Um, I came across it by accident. I was like, oh shit! I ain't know. What I think about. Look, there's, Sorry, there's some people like uh, someone like Q-Tip who made the best records of his life when he was like 20 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's people like me who somehow <laughs> start making good records in their mid-30s. <laughs> I don't know. It just took me a really long it time to figure bad. it out. I liked it. Nah, chill. Come on, I'm serious, man. <laughs> Moment, did you hear this? Have you ever heard this before? I, I really don't want to do this. Play. I really Play. don't want to do this. I'm just about to walk out. <laughs> this is the edit point. I don't care. You're the same building? <laughs> <laughs> oh man so actually uh well it, it didn't sound it sounded like uh like just some, like a typical like a beat miners beat t- uh, a typical late 90s yeah. underground hip-hop record yeah yeah it sounded like a beat miners beat to me like yeah. heavy bass heavy filtered yeah i mean yeah. it was the s950 and the sp 1200 that yeah. thing play, everyone play, was using yeah. it and, i'll play for yeah. you guys after one <laughs> but uh what do you call it? And then you had like a radio show, Night Train, right? So yeah, I I, uh, I started really like, um, you know, hanging out with Bob with Bob pretty heavy, and um, to the point where I would I would probably at this point be comfortable saying it was sort of like he was a mentor, like introducing me to all the promoters. Mm-hmm. You know, he was DJing. I don't even think he was comfortable with his DJing yet, but it was one of those things where like he was famous, so people would just give him gigs, and then he would have me open for him. At lots of places, and got me my first two residencies ever. But you would also do guest sets on Stretch and Bobito, so, right? Yeah, so um, the first time I ever DJed on the radio, I was hanging out with Bob on a, uh, in Brooklyn, and we were taking the train back to Manhattan, and he had just found out Stretch was in Japan. He used to find out, like, they weren't on the best terms in those days. Um, and he would find out, he'd be like, Stretch is in Japan, and it's Sunday, like, they had a Hot 97 on Sundays at this point. He was like, it's Sunday. The show starts in two hours. And he just let me know he's in Japan. Like, 
he would be really fu- frustrated with him. So we were on the train, and I guess he had just found out. I don't know how. He didn't have a cell phone, but somehow he had found out that Stretch wasn't around. And he was like, you want to spin on the radio tonight? So I was probably 20 or something, and and uh, the first time I ever played on the radio was on Hot 97. So crazy. Um, and uh, that Sunday night, night Craig, and Craig that Mack came 90s, up. was right? no, Yeah, it was 97. 97. Craig Mack was promoting an album that never took off. Um, I think... Uh, I don't even remember what it was called, but he was mad cool. I remember Craig Mack was uh, mad song, um, cool. You got what I you got, you got what I need. Some shit like that. Do you remember the song he put out in '97? Yeah. I don't remember I it. Yeah, horse um, yeah, I don't remember that horse. shit. <laughs> What's that? Oh, there goes another robot tree. Yeah, maybe yeah. that rings a bell. Oh yeah. wait, is yeah. that it? Yeah, but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't pop off yeah, though. Nah, um, nah. But yeah, so it was a Sunday night in the summer of '97. I went on the Hot '97 and played, and um, the crossfader was leaking. I remember that really well. Wow. Flex, I think Flex had done a number on that crossfitter. <laughs> and, uh, and Craig Mack came up, and pff, I was like, this is crazy. I, my friend, my best friend who grew up in the building was downstairs on Hudson Street with a box taping it because I was just like, so, like, we couldn't believe it. You know, he was like, yo, I'm coming. I'm going to tape it, and then we'll listen to it on the walk. We'll just walk. Mm. Like, we, I don't, like, we probably didn't get on the train until, like, 42nd Street. We just walked. Wow. And, then, um, and then shortly after that, I started regularly filling in on 89.9 and Hot 97. So I caught the bug. I was like, I was just loved it, being on the radio. And um, and then I had my own show, too, on 89.9, where I was playing, like, um, original stuff that people were sampling. Mm-hmm. That was, that was kind of like, I was real into that. I was, just, I was buying records. Like, I still didn't even, didn't even have a pair of Technique 1200s. Mm. At that point, because I couldn't stop spending money on records, mm. I had the ninety-nine dollar Gemini belt drive. Mm-hmm. Belt drive? Were they belt? The ones? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You had to like, if you wanted to bring in a record, you had to be like, yeah, <laughs> and hope it would land. <laughs> but I got really good at those things, you know. And um, yeah, I remember people would be like, "Yo, Ellie, just save your money and get techniques." I'd be like, "But I want to buy records," and they have <laughs> techniques at the clubs, so it's cool, you know. And um, so I was just spending ridiculous amounts of money on records. So I had like all these old um you know 70s records and and uh, i was really into disco and uh and and funk and all that stuff r&b so i had a show on 89.9 where i played that kind of stuff and then and that was night train right wow. yeah that was night train and where then did they, that name they kicked come us from? off where did that name no that's the way it works at columbia is like all the time slots already are named oh so oh. it was just like this is the night train time slot and you get it something <laughs> okay. like that i don't know <laughs> and you said you were playing samples yeah but then also hip-hop but then that's why they kicked us off because i was like it was four hours and i wanted to play hip-hop too and bring people up we had like you know lots of guests up and uh and then they found out we were doing that we violated the programming mm. it was like programming from one to five a.m on tuesdays needs to be jazz funk r&b blah 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 Mm-hmm. And we were we were just stupid. And we was like me and a couple of my friends, and we violated that uh, that programming guideline. So they kicked us off. Wow. Yeah. How long did you guys last though? Like a year and a half, something like that. Yeah. And also, it was like some dumb stuff. Like some of the people that we brought up with, like stealing records and doing graffiti. It was a lot of that kind of stuff. So what what clubs were you doing at that time? Uh. So let's see. Like ninety seven was like. Well, I used to do um, Pravda, <laughs> which was like... Um, you on, on Lafayette? Yep, yeah, Lafayette downstairs. It was like, you know... That's what it was. It was like a place... About? It was like the That's crowd was it terrible. Was. It was like... It wasn't like dancing. It was like people being seen and... Just hanging blah, out, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would play like... Um, 
I remember they yelled at me once, like, you got to stop playing so much Sade. Because I would just be playing that Sade. I'd be like, it just kind of fits the vibe. But I don't know. It wasn't really like a party. And then I, I started doing this party um, at 205 Club. 205 Club has been around for a really long time in various incarnations. Mm-hmm. In 97, they used to have a Friday night party that was um, really, really good. It was, uh, it was just like your average late 90s uh, hip-hop, reggae, R&B, classics night. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Saturdays, I started doing this other party that moved around and eventually ended up at this place, 95 Leonard, which is where I met Goldfinger. Because mm-hmm. um, he, got, he got brought in by another promoter, Adam. And uh, that was a big, I wanted to talk about that since you're here. Because that was a really cool, the first time I ever heard him at that party was a really cool moment. Um, I had fallen into this kind of like idea of like, all right, the way you DJ is, you play classics from 10 to 11. Mm-hmm. Then from 11 to like, you know, 12.15, you play old school hip hop that everybody loves. Yeah. Then at like 12.15, you might do like a real quick reggae set. Then at one, you play all the new stuff. Vegas. Boom, 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 boom. Then you play Wait, more. I still DJ like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. And then, and then, and then at two thirty, you start bringing it back to some old school. Old school shit. And then by three, I used to wait till three because I loved. I lo- I wanted to play Alicia Myers and all the gap R&B, band. And yeah, R&B I was just like, I can't wait till yeah. three. I can't wait till three. Three o'clock, go into all that stuff. Mm-hmm. First time Goldfinger came into the party, he tore that whole thing down. Like, I'm playing New Edition at one in the morning. And everybody loved it. And I was like, damn, he's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he plays whatever he wants at whatever time of night. He's not restricted by this kind of like idea of how a night should go. That's one and, thing uh, about, about Goldie yeah. is his instincts. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you could never guess what was being played at right, what hour. Right. And sometimes it would, it would be almost like counterintuitive. Like, are we listening to the locks right now? It's right. like it's twelve thirty. I was just jamming to Shaka Khan, but the entire room just erupts. And that's all that matters. You know right? I, yeah. I mean, how do you how do you break down the night? How do you approach it? Um, Goldfinger. Just feel it every, out, right? Every night every night is different. Yeah, it's just like yeah. it, it depends on the vibe. It depends on, you know, the atmosphere, the club. It's, it's a lot of different factors. Men to ratio, men to women ratio. Has it always I mean? been like that for you? Always, always. Really? See, I grew up DJing like block parties, so you had to kinda like be cognizant of everybody that was in the area you had to play what was the first thing you try to notice to to read the crowd the first thing is you have to know for who's you there for you. who's yeah. there you have to know who's there you have to know if those people are partiers you have to know if those and you can kind of like get it from certain songs you put on a song you'll see who's mm-hmm. bopping who's moving it's and you kind of focus in on on that See what you, what type of emotion are you getting from what they're giving you yeah. off of that record? I always call them like the test <clears throat> the test songs. Oh yeah, totally. That totally. kind of like a totally. they're kind of more the widespread. Limits, the limits, yeah, 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 yeah. They kind of they're a little more widespread and they're a little bit more even. But like these five or this group of people who weren't dancing, if they start dancing, you're like, oh, this opens up another door to go that way even deeper. Does that? Yeah, and then you kind of you know what I mean. Yeah, my thing is like I have records that I call the gimmies. So it's like, I'll play a record, I'll get a sign, okay, let's see, and then I'll try to stretch it out a little bit more, Yeah. give me a sign, see if I get any resistance or whatever, mm-hmm. stretch it out a little bit more, see how far I can take it before you start to get that, you know, I'm not interested or, you know, my attention span is not exactly on the music, mm-hmm. then I'll bring in a gimme record, 
where it brings everybody back into the fold, and then it's like I have to train you again. Like, right, right. And then I just full disclosure, I learned that from watching Goldie. Yeah, like literally, <laughs> like I think you're one of the first DJs that I seen really scan the crowd. Like I used to, I used to say Goldie DJs like a lifeguard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember it, you would you would come real early. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, he would like I would see him come in with a couple of bags. Leave, come back with more bags. Leave, come back with more bags. I'd be like, oh, how many records is this dude bringing? <laughs> it would be like this crazy amount of times back and forth. But then he would hang out and just be like, just keep playing and and like and really like survey the the thing. And then you would always be like, all right, uh, I remember you didn't like playing dance hall. I'm not. Yes. I, I like playing dance hall, but in the city, it's a lot different because I'm from Brooklyn, yeah, so yeah, they yeah. they really go crazy for dance hall. Yeah. But um, in the city at that point, it would be like. Uh, and a lot of the parties I was doing, they were more like, um, not really industry, but the kind of industry. Mm -hmm. So if you have people like an industry, then they're working together and they're not going to necessarily going to be rubbing up on each other. Right, right, right. So it's kind of yeah, like, you know, right. you know yeah. what, I'll play that a little bit later, mm -hmm. but I'll play it before people start thinking about looking at their clock and like, yo, it's almost time for me to go home. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That type of thing. Right. So when you guys, like during this time, never you were spending too, right? Yeah. Late mm -hmm. 90s. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we were kind of going. Like, yeah. We were kind of going through the, the 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 names of clubs throughout the nineties. So I don't know about the early nineties too well. So you guys can school me, but I'll start at the late nineties since we're already in that pocket. Uh, Coney Island High. Yeah, Blow Pop. Remember that party? Blow Pop. Yeah, yeah. DJ Hero. I played at Coney Island High, and this was like the beginning. And this, so that club was it Pravda. Yeah, it wasn't a club though. It was like, how it was like a, lounge. It was a lounge. It was a lounge, but it was, yeah. was it like a restaurant at the top. Yeah, they had a restaurant. They used to give me a meal every night. So I think that's literally the first night I've ever, I've ever actually been to like a club or a bar that played hip hop all night and reggae and R and B. At Pravda, oh, and it was and you were spinning there. Oh really? And no, I, I know what you're talking about. That's not so, Pravda. Yeah, you're talking about. Um, this is the party I was talking about that he eventually joined me at, but at the time it was downstairs. Downstairs on Houston, between yes. it was called. And Where was, was it? It was on Houston between Thompson and um, LaGuardia, and I don't remember what it was called though. It wasn't that bar. Man. Oh, Eno. It was called Eno at first, and then they changed the name when we were down there. And I used to DJ sitting down for some weird reason. It was like they didn't have a DJ set up. Yeah. It was like every every Friday and Saturday night they would bring out turntables and a mixer, but it was on a real low table, mm -hmm. so I would have to sit down for it to feel comfortable. But that was one of the best parties, and it was like I could see you being there because it was like a real um, New York City kids party. Yeah, like a lot of the kids that were just out of school would all go there. It was like, like the first, but like I would try to get into all these bars and clubs, I would never be able to get in. Mm -hmm. Like uh, and then, but that was the first time I actually got in. And and I saw you and I'm like, yo, that dude lives in my building. <laughs> and I was with my homie Philippe and all like, you know, we we're just like, you know, we weren't even 21 yet, probably. And right, then we right, were just right. like, and it was the first time I danced with a girl in an actual club. And were you already wow. DJing? Like, no, I wasn't DJing. Oh, I was like, okay. I was actually into beats and I was like, quote unquote, rapping at the time. But like, <laughs> that's another story. But I was, uh, and then I remember I was just, it was like the best time of my life because I was hearing all the hip hop, all the R&B and all the reggae that I wanted to hear and then I was dancing with a chick for the first time <laughs> and I got she, I remember we were dancing and I've never danced that long we were probably dancing like two hours straight with the same girl 
she had a red dress on <laughs> and when I, and then when i left the club the red dress had rubbed off on my jeans and my jeans was red oh, oh my god yeah you better hope that was only the yeah, dress yeah, it was a dress, it was a dress. It was just do you dress. remember any other song you remember any songs you heard that night i remember hearing like the dope reggae set and i heard like everything like uh probably like Heads high, yeah, and yeah. it was at the time where I don't know, like I didn't hear that remix before. Right, give right, it to right. me, give me the, the yeah, heads yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, yo, what is that? What is that? And I just remember, and I was just like, it was the best time of my life. And I was just like, I wanted to talk to you, and I was like, <laughs> I don't, I can't talk to him, man. But like, I was like, I was so proud. I was telling my boys there, I was like, yo, that dude's from my building, yo. <laughs> yo he's like, he killed that shit, yo. And I was just like, yo, that motherfucker killed that shit. But I, I never forgot that. But anyway, moving forward, in, in some of the clubs, there was Buddha Bar, right? Yeah, there was. Mm-hmm. I never got into Bob's. Uh, there was, I never got into Mecca. Bob's on Bob's the salon. Yeah, on the, in the Lower on, East on Side. Elridge. You on didn't Elridge. get. You get. You didn't I, get on, in on in Bob's. There was yeah. like a, it was a hole in the wall, right? Yeah. How come you didn't get in? They would never let me in. They would just. That's crazy. You know what? I, I didn't I think of it as that kind of place. I used to roll with like five or six Ethiopian girls just to get in. No, it'd be like me and like three dudes. Right? I never like, thought no, of no, it no, as no. a place that was like you just. I always thought you just walked in. But it was so small. This would be so crowded on Sunday nights, right? Sunday yeah. nights. I've DJed there a couple of times. You they did? just pay like 50 bucks. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm surprised even 50. Yeah, they used to pay you 50 to But DJ. I love those yeah. places. I know. I love yeah, those that was places. the spots. Like. Yeah. Yeah, I never got into that Den of Thieves. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't worry that about it. That was like that. men. Don't worry. <laughs> 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 Actually, that was like the first spot I heard um, Mark Ronson spin at. No, it was cool. But it was, it's still. It's he still wasn't even Mark Ronson at the time. He was like Mark Spark. Yeah, you Mark might be the right. Mark the Spark or some shit like that. Yeah. But then well, he found the, out there was another Mark the Spark. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Our Mark the Spark. Yeah, from from brand, brand new yeah. manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there was, uh, I never even heard his Don Hills. Yeah. Don oh, Hills. yeah. Legend. Yeah. On, on Greenwich. Yeah. 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 Greenwich. That's a legendary know. spot. Really? Fucking Madonna used to hang. Oh, Dude, God. really? Yeah. Thursday, Thursday nights at Don Hills was my, like, sanctuary. I mean, I, when I look back on, like, all the different clubs i used to like to go to that one really is high on my list what were they playing in there so, was just playing well, a lot of shit sunday really? nights yeah be they like, had all kinds of stuff. sunday nights used to be the hip-hop night yeah well it was that different nights they had, yeah. they had a, they had a sunday night hip-hop they had a monday night hip-hop they had um thursday night like he was yeah. saying that was really really big and then the rest of the nights they had like punk rock yeah, yeah, yeah they had exactly. mis- uh, like they that. had misshapes yeah. there which yeah, was a big party that madonna went to and stuff the party that i used to go to was um frankie the guy who did soul kitchen frankie gleason yeah he did a night at Don Hills that was kind of just all over the place. Genre wise, I never went, but I remember yeah. that party. What though. night was that? Oh my god, it was so fun. He would and he doesn't know how to mix. Like no one ever cared. That was always like because he always played quality. He always shit. played amazing he did, records. He did Soul Kitchen as well. Yeah, right? he did Soul Kitchen. Yeah. And uh, he would play. Uh, I would watch him. He would play a record at Don Hills, go dance on the floor. And you hear the record end, they just run back and grab another record. And I thought it was so cool. I mean, I like. I mean, I. <laughs> there's a certain people that would be like, "That's not real DJing or whatever." He, but miss, I would, but I didn't he played care. dope records. He played dope records, and I was yeah. like, "That was like my heavy." I mean, I still collect records, unfortunately. And uh, my boy Jules but, and Julian they used to do a party um, oh, over yeah, at Donnell's. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. True. yeah. That's Jules true. was a really Donnell's. dope DJ. Wow. Really, really yeah. dope party. Really mm-hmm. dope party. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I never, I never. I mean, these are a lot. I think of these this is before you started going out. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I wish I like. I, even at the time when I could go out, like you didn't go out. You didn't go out in high school. Nah, nah, nah. Oh, okay. I was like making. I was like a super like just trying good. to make trap called quest beats oh, in yeah, my crib yeah, yeah. and shit like that. <laughs> um, Indochine. Indochine yeah. on on Lafayette. Yeah. Um, Bill Spector party. He used to do yeah. some definitely. shit on the weekends. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, and then these are just legendary clubs that I 
obviously never went to, but like Palladium, I know nothing about, but everyone will talk about that. Yeah, well, yeah. you didn't watch school. Club. You didn't watch Club MTV. I mean, no, no. Oh, I, mean, okay. I was just like, I didn't have cable probably <laughs> uh, at the okay. time. <laughs> I just had Club MTV shit. was at the Palladium. I had Palladium, and I'm and to this day I regret this. I've never been to the tunnel. Oh, I've never yeah, been yeah, there. Yeah. I've never was able to get into life. <laughs> You're young. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not sorry, that I'm young. sorry to think about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. damn, I'm yeah, fucking old. I, I was never gotten. I've Life never was been amazing. Was Life it, was, was it Monday nights? Monday nights? It was Thursday yeah. nights? It was, yeah. it was a yeah. lot of nights. Yeah. Like, but a lot of Sunday nights? Life is like the beginning of. The bottle service, right? Yeah, so it's hard for yeah. me because I really didn't like the bottle service era. I don't have no attachment to it whatsoever, even though I worked in it. Was that like the first? Those kind cl- of the but, first? The, but when. Like life, when life is sort of they had that VIP cele- room. Cele- it was, cele- it was yeah. the first real. Cele- but people like, still, people still. They had like three VIP. They still had dance the- floors though. That's the thing. It was like yeah. I remember when uh, there was one club that opened up that I used to work at, and uh, it was it was on Wednesday nights, and um, probably 2005. It was the first time I ever walked into a new club, mm-hmm. first night, like kind of excited, and I saw I was just like there's tables covering uh, the, the whole dance floor. Dance floor. Right. And that was when I was just like, this is out of control. You know, like, what's the point? You well, know? you know, nightlife went through a little phase yeah. where they were taking a lot of people's cabarets because the fucking mayor. That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. So right. a lot of spaces were like, they, they were getting run up that? on. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. run, no, they were just like trying to be dickheads because mm-hmm. they were like, oh, we want to contain people being out on the streets at four o'clock. We get a lot of complaints and blah, 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 blah. Right, right. So they would fuck with anybody that had like music playing. Mm-hmm. And that was the culture of fucking New York. And, then yeah. they and just the tables, actually, I, I noticed from working in, in engineering is that in order to get your permit, you had to have a floor plan exactly. that showed, like, dinner-style exactly. seating. Exactly. Right, so right, when the right, right, police right. department and the fire department exactly. would raid a club, it had to match the it floor plan. Match the floor if plan. it didn't match the floor plan, it'd get violated. Done, done yeah. deal. For those yeah. who don't know what we're talking about, in New York, you obviously, you get a liquor license and you're going to open a bar or lounge. But to actually have a club, you needed the cabaret license to have people dancing. Right. Or technically music and I think it's from the nineteen twenties, like a relic of prohibition. Very, very old, you old couldn't world. have like one leg like people couldn't have one leg above like there had to be one I don't know, there's something about like everyone had to be sitting or standing. There couldn't be one leg up yeah. at and any time he, or some shit like that. I don't know what the fuck they were talking about, but like PM would have like there was a lot of clubs at that time that didn't have cabaret and they used to have like a si- like a like a light like a police when siren the fire, when the fire people were yeah coming, they, right? they would have a siren not a siren mm-hmm. but the, like the different police, bulb, different, different police siren. lights yeah. underneath the DJ booth and yeah. when you saw that red light come on you, you had, had to, to turn the they had to lower yeah. the yeah. the volume yeah. from like nine to like yeah. three or two right yeah. right but do you remember like when that would happen I remember when that would happen and then the promoter would run up and be like yo yeah they're coming they're coming yeah yeah. And then it, everyone would get restless, and uh, and then the, then they would leave, and you could like yeah. Then you just then you had to bank yeah, like play be the like, best record out, and it would, people would go crazy. It was kind it, of actually amazing for a DJ. It was kind of dope. Yeah, yeah. it was like a reset button. But it was just nerve wracking because you just didn't know if they were gonna shut down the night or if it was right. just like a, a routine check or yeah. if they leave or not. Right. Um, yeah. So like as we enter the late '90s and 2000s, and it goes into the bottle service era, right? There was like. What do you think was the biggest mega club that changed everything? Like for the worse, you mean? Yeah, because <laughs> I'm gonna list a couple. There was yeah. there was the park, which I love. I like the park. Yeah, I like the park, and yeah. they had that special little upstairs mm-hmm. joint. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually one of the first times I saw Mark Ronson. Mm. And then there was Central Fly. Yeah, Central Fly was Central great. Fly was yeah. still a dance club. Yeah, it was yeah. a dance club. Yeah. And then there was Spa. Spa. Yeah, yeah. Spa was dope, but I don't think it was really too much of. 
like bottle service it was still like you were still in the yeah. mix you were still able yeah. to flow yeah. uh-huh. i think the bottle service thing really kind of went into effect in the mid 2000s definitely mm-hmm. it was more like 2005 2006 mm-hmm. that's when it really really what, what club do you think what clubs were the ones that you think that that changed it that really just changed the whole thing. I don't dynamic. think it was really clubs. I think it was just the attitude of having that that fucked up the zone for everybody because it was like a lot of these different clubs couldn't compete with, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's before it used to be, you know, it, it, it just became very, um, um, damn, how, what's the word for it? Just, just. Uh, tight? Like, uh, nah, just, yeah. a, just a, a very bad aura. Like the aura became very, um. Damn. Showboating. And it was like, oh yeah, you're talking bankers. about you're talking about the you're talking about the um, pretentious. Pretentious, that's the word. But like people competing on how many bottles someone's buying and stuff like that. Or not, not, not even, so, but not, even before that, not so that. much. It became snobby because it was like New York never really been about like even from the great clubs from back in the days and shelter and shit like that. Yeah. You would have a millionaire dude dancing to somebody right. that was just exactly. homeless two minutes ago yeah. you never knew yeah, yeah, but yeah. they were all dancing on the same dance floor right. same level right you know you had that type of synergy mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's what made the clubs dope mm-hmm. and the fact of the matter was it became of before you can even walk in here i need a credit card exactly like what the yeah. fuck are you talking about yeah. i think um so for me i was uh djing a bungalow <clears> eight, uh bungalow eight uh every saturday or something and uh, when it was the only club on 27th street and um it was it was fun. It was it was it was like, you know, it was hard to get into. Everyone knows that it has a reputation and famous people, blah blah blah. But there was also a lot of um, regular New York people, that mm-hmm. downtown kids or whatever, who who weren't spending any money, and um, and you could smoke weed openly in there. So that was like a big draw. And musically, I had complete freedom, so I was I was I was into it. But the club became kind of uh, the model, I think for all these other places to kind of try and copy and um that block became the epicenter of kind of expensive partying you know so it was like marquee followed Mm -hmm. then home then guest house then kane was there bed and kane and uh and yeah was was spotlight stereo spotlight remember the big spotlight yeah 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 yeah, Yeah. totally and then up the and then one block up they opened um the Miami Club. They yeah. had whatever. Pink Elephant. Or <sighs> there was a Pink Elephant. Crowbar. Yeah. yeah. And Crowbar. Yeah. Crowbar. All these Crowbar, clubs were yeah. two blocks of each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that you can uh, have all of these clubs going. And it was like back then it was still weeknight culture. Right. So they, uh, clubs were going off every night of the week. And to fill up all these clubs and have them make money. And, and they're pay- at this point in the mid-2000s, they're paying uh, astronomical rent. To keep this going, you've got to cater to wealthy people, mm-hmm. bankers, hedge fund people. These people are not fun. <laughs> They're not cool. You don't want to be around. I mean, I'm not trying to put like I'm sure there's a nice banker out there somewhere, but <laughs> <laughs> in general, this is not what club culture is about. Like and club culture became, is yeah. trying to escape that. And stuff. then it just became yeah. so like a, a dick swinging contest. Exactly. After that. Exactly. Just, you know, who exactly. spent this or who's yeah. going to be there? Who's going to get more sparklers right, brought right. to their? T- I think you know. we went from like late '90s to mid 2000s, and we may have skipped some of the clubs that kind of mixed all that. Oh, I definitely. Think, I think definitely. Lotus was one of those clubs. Lotus. Lotus. Yeah. Where you had this real mixiness going on but you still had that prominent vip with the yeah. bottle service right i mean that was kind of like aspirational like yeah. you wanted to get up you know what i think like i think there was always not not in every club but a lot of clubs there was always bottle service but it was I mean, kept on the side and you didn't really as a dj 
You were like, those are the people that, that are sitting. Yeah, the, but I, I, don't, really I, don't, I don't really, them, right? I don't really think that it was like more VIP. I think that was just like the promoters and they hosted yeah. tables. Yeah, right. The, the VIP, I think, I mean, really started with that velvet rope outside. Like it's like you, the only way you're going to be able to get in here is if you spend five thousand dollars for a table, and right. that's like, yo, I don't even drink. Right. <laughs> Fuck, am I doing spending five thousand right, yeah, dollars right. for a table? And right. I was like, you know. But you mentioned Pangea earlier, Crooked. Yeah. Pangea was like one of the first clubs. I think Pangea like, and Serafina, they Serafina. brought a lot of that European exactly. culture yeah, to yeah. the city. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah. Um, I mean, remember Eugene's? Oh, Eugene? yeah. 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 That was one of them. One of the first clubs. Eugene's, that, Eugene's by uh, by the bridge. No, nah, Eugene's on 2024. Oh, 24. Noah, yeah. Jason and Noah, one of the first spots mm-hmm. that they opened up. Was that, uh, and then what do you call it? Was that before? Was that Sweet Sixteen? That oh. was another spot. Sweet yeah. Sixteen. That was used to be Rebar. Oh, Rebar. wait, yeah. Sweet Sixteen was a night at Rebar. Totally. Yeah, yeah. and that was, was dope. That was no, that was, no, like, it was no Rebar. It was Rebar first, and then clo- shut it down. Oh, and it became, became you're right. 16. You're right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. what was the party at Rebar? I, I DJed it. It was Mark Ronson started. Yeah. It. Yep. Then um, what was it called? It wasn't called Sweet Sixteen. Was it a Tuesday night? It was yeah. Wednesday. No, it was Wednesday. Was it? Maybe Tuesday or Wednesday? It was Tuesday. 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 I play. I got to open up a couple of times. It was so fun. Big Big Frank party. Arson. Yeah, yeah. Arson, DJ Arson used to DJ yeah, there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, LePo. Yeah, LePo. Yep. Yeah, LePo. exactly. Yeah. Big shout to Eric LePo. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was yeah. fun. Yeah. And then there was, um, what do you call it? Did we we met at Light on 50-something Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there was, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Pangea. Rehab at yeah. the Time Cafe. There was oh, yeah. Joe's Pub. Yep. There was um, Suede. Suede was Yeah, that was 23rd, right? Yeah, 23rd. Yeah, yeah. And then um, then there was one, and then there was show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Sessa. Yeah. Sessa. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, PM. Right. Yeah. And Cielo, of course, and the APT, which later became the the meatpacking district started blowing up around yeah. that. Well, that APT time. opened up, and then Cielo opened up pretty, pretty like maybe two years after. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, it was those two. Those two clubs were like the... Oasis for uh, people who wanted to hear good music, or whatever, would go to. Yeah, to oh, by the way, the, the yeah. part at Rebar was Sweet Thing. Sweet Thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then PM was actually I came up with like kind of unique and kiki, you know. Right. Uh, they I they I think they started like the first Wednesday hip hop party, or like a mix of party, and then it was the first time hip hop was played at Pangea, and then they had it. It was from show, and then they had show, at the same time, and then they opened PM. And then PM was like, I just remember that time spinning at PM and then having just all of these clubs just starting to open up in right. the meatpacking yeah. district. Yeah. yeah, And it just became the, the new area. And then everyone was kind of leaving, what was that, the marquee, that one block? Yeah, the 27th the Street. The 27th Street. Club Row. We used yeah, to call it Club, Club Row. Row. Yeah. And then you had a residency out there uh, at a home and guest house, right? Uh-huh. And I remember going there almost every Wednesday with Sean yeah. Perry to go and listen to, to Ellie. <laughs> And he would be playing like everything from like U two to like you know into like yeah, the so, new hip hop. So do you yeah. know, it was the music good? Because when I think back at those those days, I'm like, oh, I must have been playing terrible music. No, for us it was like, yo, he just played you know like mysterious ways, and, oh, and we would just be like, damn, like no one's playing. Yeah, this no, shit. yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. going to that night, and it was really refreshing. Yeah, we're like yo, this dude is making it interesting, and he's playing to like you know. The this worst weird crowd <laughs> yeah and it was just it was so good it was the music was so good and it was so like you know you don't scratch much but then when you did scratch we were like yeah that was pretty fresh because <laughs> you do like a jigga jigga I, I never really got the hang of it yeah, yeah but it was just dope and it was one of those parties and then we would go to lotus to to hear goldfinger 
Thank you. And then it was just like we would just take notes and study, and it really kind of like shaped all of us when we were coming up mm. in in those years and stuff like that. And you always had these great. I don't know how to like you had these setup records, so you would drop like Ashford and Simpson like uh, solid gotcha, as a gotcha, rock. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And then you know we when build we build it up, we build it up, we build it up, and then you drop like so seductive. Oh, nigga, do you know <laughs> <laughs> what this is? <laughs> like, oh. I remember the first time I heard that you played uh, solid as a rock, and then <clears throat> we build it up, and then I was like looking. I think I was with Sean Perry, or I don't know who I was with, and I was like, "Yo, what is he gonna? What is what is he doing right now?" And I was like, "We build it up," and then you just drop uh, Tony Ayo, so seductive. And it was just like, oh my! And the room just erupted, and I was just like, yo, man! And it was like at the time, I think I was calling them like setup records, and I'm like, yo, I gotta have one of those because I don't have one of those. We're just like totally, kind of like you just like throw like you just kind of stop the room for a second, right? right. And you, they, everyone's a little shocked and stuff, and then they just kind of listen like, what's going on? And they're like, oh shit! Like this is dope. And then the energy starts building up, and then you just take them and you just turn them and stuff like that. Right. But I was just wondering like. You know, like, where did you, like, where did you, like, start just, like, kind of messing with those kind of setup records and stuff like that? Um, I've, I've been doing it for a while for as far as that. Um, I just like to, <clears throat> well, with, with that type of stuff, it's just, like, getting something that's familiar is really, really good because yeah. if they don't know where you're going. Just, just trying to do something a little unpredictable. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Just like getting everybody to go one way. It's kind of like diversionary to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just good to have a good follow up. With it, if you do a right, right, like right. That. Just good to have a good. But it's like you, you, but saving. you did feel like more like you were a chess player. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of the dudes who do shit that's like wildly different like that, they set it up using the mic. And you didn't really talk on the mic No, 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 I don't, talk, I don't talk on the mic at all. And, and like, it's, it's funny that you said chess because I'm looking, when I play music, I play a record, but I'm thinking two, three moves, Definitely. what's going to be the next move, what's right, going to be right. the next move, yeah. what, you know, Murphy's Law, this record fucks up on me, or right. this record scratches, or this, you know, I have to have that momentum where I don't lose the room. So I'm thinking in bunches, like, two or three records instead of thinking of 15 minutes i'm thinking of two or three records at a time it if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah 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 there's that it, old jab jab i, I remember it, being in a room with i i remember who i would be i would be, i would be with uh, mel debarge and we'd be listening we'd be wilding out and you'd be playing like songs like prime time like you said ellie he'd be playing like a uh, shaka khan i know you i live you and we would i would never hear that and yeah, but the, those are primetime records. It's just, you know, for me, but like, I, I've never heard of If you love records, music, you know? yeah. those are primetime yeah, records. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. you know. But the next day I would go to Rock and Soul. I'd be like, yo, you have that, that one Chaka Khan song, and I know you, I love you. And I would sing it for them. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, I got those. And we would start, <laughs> start building. Yeah, I'd just be like, I would it's just hear those in prime that was, time. That was before Shazam, right? Yeah. So you'd yeah. be in a room, you'd hear a song you had never heard. It could be an R&B album cut. And everybody's like, what the fuck is this? Yep. And you'd be like, I'm going to go ask the DJ. <laughs> and I would go to that booth in Lotus. Like, you know, you got to go like yeah. through that other room and come up, up a stairs. flight of stairs. <laughs> and I'd knock on the door and I'd be like, excuse me. <laughs> and Goldie would be like, oh, that's Tony Braxton. Take this take this ring. Like, that's Tony Braxton? Oh, my God. This shit is crazy. <laughs> and yo, there, was, um, there was an interview with Funk Master Flats. And they asked him, was there any DJ... He was ever scared of that was gonna take his spot. First he said nah. Then he was like, yo, wait a minute. There's one DJ that scared me. 
It was Goldfinger. Wow. Well, he didn't actually say that. (laughs) He said that. He was like, yo, there was only one DJ, Goldfinger. He was doing Envy. I was like, yo, this guy's going to take my spot. (laughs) You never saw that interview? Nah, nah, I didn't see that. Shout out, shout out to Flex. Shout out to Flex. This Goldie being political right now. (laughs) (laughs) But in his mind, you know what this is. (laughs) Oh, what do you call it? Speaking of uh, shit that other DJs have said about other DJs, uh-huh. uh, we recently had a, a Shecky on the podcast, and yeah. Shecky mentioned uh, DJ Am. Yeah, and DJ Am speaking about Ellie Escobar, and he actually said something in, to the effects of, you know, with all the success that DJ Am had and and everything, the fame and everything, mm-hmm. the one DJ he always admired and wanted to live the life and be. And he would give up everything just to be this, to have this DJ's life, right? Yeah, yeah, this life. Was Ellie Escobar. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, big. I mean, that's. And I think he, he was, what was he saying? He was fascinated. He just was really an admirer. Just the, yeah, just the way he was living his life. Like, it was very, like, content. It was, like, nothing crazy. It was basic, like, like. It was just a dope lifestyle to him. To have like a girlfriend, to be produced, to have the freedom to produce what he wanted, to DJ what he wanted, and then to tour playing whatever he wanted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he really was a fan of that lifestyle. Well, that's both of them, actually. Yeah. To me, that's how I feel about both of these guys. With MoMA and uh, Ellie? Well, I I mean, I I feel like I've always looked up to Goldie and Ellie mm -hmm. because I was always like, I want to DJ like Goldie. But then I would watch Ellie be. at, at home doing like some mid-level commercial party and then i would i would hear about ellie being in atlantic city i was like whoa he's got a casino gig and then i would hear him in like the little rooms you know playing like amazing music and i was like this dude's got the whole gamut of gigs yeah like that's really really impressive you know and you signed you were on dexter yeah yeah and yeah and <laughs> no, that wasn't. I, you guys yeah, laughing? Yeah. I didn't do anything. <laughs> and then, um, no, Am was like um, really cool because he he was like really looking out for the working DJ. Yeah, yeah, right. Because uh, he he spent a lot of time being one himself, and uh, and never really veered from that as far as like format wise. Like he was, he never like put out his own music or you know people he had a reputation of being a really skilled dj everyone knows that mm-hmm. but in general understatement yeah exactly he was playing music to people on the you know a, a basic i really want to make sure that uh be clear that i'm not using that as an insulting word yeah but a basic crowd not like a um a, like a like a house music night or a like mainstream. We just say a basic music pedigree. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing like wrong with that. Right? I mean, we we yeah. all that's what yeah. We, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, so he even though he was making lots of money and he was a celebrity, he still was kind of a working DJ. Right. Right. Because he he had to know all the new songs. He had to make sure he played them at the right time. All the stuff that we do. And uh, but he was like the first thing that he really wanted to do when he got successful was like bring a lot of other people with him. Mm-hmm. Which was pretty amazing, right? That he admired, yeah. That, that he liked, that, he, that he, yeah, yeah, exactly. And because um, a lot of the people on Dexter were people that he liked and were cool with, yeah, exactly. And he, they were homies, kind of. And I he's think like, all of them. I don't think yeah, there was, was anyone mostly like West Coast dudes, except for you, yeah, yeah, and like Pace, Pace Rock, Pace Rock, yeah, oh, Jazzy Jeff, and that's oh yeah, that was Jazzy later, Jeff. right? Yeah, yeah, that was a little later. For like a quick yeah. yeah, yeah, and even like he just really brought people that he loved, admired in some way, or just either 
was really good homies with and he's like yo right. like now it's time to like spread the wealth a little yeah bit. exactly you know what i mean like exactly. I'm, I'm getting these opportunities and i can give some of these opportunities to you and everyone can get paid Did, right oh, didn't rock the con also say that he would like ask you and rock um tech advice on for like production, yeah i Ableton, mean i think like that. yeah he did yep he he wanted to you know try to make music whatever but <clears throat> anyway but so that was his thing and 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 he, and he did a uh, you know he got me out there but quickly i realized <laughs> that i didn't really want to do those kind of parties yeah. i didn't want to do casinos and and uh whatever and uh but it was a really good experience you know i think as a dj i i never look down on any any you know like whether it's playing for $50 or for 3000 or whatever like um any experience you get makes you a better dj even if you veer on another path musically you know i think um all the time i spent just playing five nights a week in clubs as a anonymous uh you know dj just trying to um play all the songs everyone wanted to hear or whatever it really informed the way i play now now that i actually can do my own parties and uh get my own crowd and and stuff like i think i'd be a way worse dj if i hadn't spent so many years doing that other stuff you know so so we booked uh, a dj from from the uk a couple of weeks ago jotty at a oh yeah at our wednesday night party that yeah, ellie yeah. and i do at lebain and she's a big fan of ellie knows ellie and as you a, as a dance music producer as a dance music dj but at dance 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 our party is it's called dance 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 it's yeah. not a house music party no. it's about dance music and you can dance to pretty much anything and at some point during the night we switch up the tempo and ellie dropped it down to 95 bpm played dance hall played a little hip-hop and this girl this girl from london was like ellie plays bashment <laughs> she could not <laughs> believe it wow. she What's was like bashment? It, that's how they that's call the dance hall. dance hall okay she's like, <clears throat> he plays dance hall and hip-hop like my mind is blown and i was like this guy's a hip-hop dj yeah, yeah. like a working stiff like all of us like you said five <laughs> nights a week right right you know what i'm saying lugging yeah. crates yeah catalog right shit. right well this because the, there's there's been such a shift in in the culture where like a dj can make like in dance music especially a dj can make one record the record blows up mm-hmm. and the only way they can really make money is to hit the road right and so they're like all right i get like uh an hour and a half set and i'm just gonna find out what all the top records are on Port or whatever and you know pretty easy to figure out how to beat match quantized 123 bpm records right for an hour and a half mm-hmm. yeah and just play one then another then one then another and then and then you're done so i think it always catches people by surprise when somebody can actually really dj and, and have those instincts to like drop the tempo down and play different kinds of music and you know well you mentioned this on twitter actually i think it was right after you went on tour in europe uh-huh. and you said I don't know if you you were depressed, but you did you did a whole tour in Europe, and it was all two hour headlining sets. Yeah, and you are so. I mean, I guess I'm the same way because we have conversations on the podcast about this a lot, and we all grew up. And I, I mean, I was in the clubs in the early 2000s. We were spinning from 10 o'clock to 4 a.m. Sometimes 5 a.m. if it was popping. So I'm used to really conducting a whole night saving and having this mm-hmm. catalog of music yeah. where i can go like you said classics yeah you know yeah. reggae a little this and that and really show everyone my cards 
And now nowadays in Vegas, even when I headline, you know, I spin from 12.30 to 2.30 and it's not enough. Yeah, yeah. And the club wants me to do one thing from, two, you know, from 12.30 to 2.30. And it's sometimes when I, when I analyze from 12.30 to 2.30 what can be done, I'm just like, if you want me to just come on and play hits and play everything that's new and do what everyone's doing, then you might as well just bring in another, like a, like a 12-year-old kid or like a, like a 15-year-old or like a really young kid to yeah. just play for an hour and play all the new shit. It makes you feel sort of interchangeable, right? Yeah, and yeah. then so it's like one of those things where I could really like, really like curate the whole night and do the whole night and really give the crowd an experience in six hours. Mm-hmm. And so when you came back from your tour, you said you were almost depressed because, but you did like a six hour uh, gig at one point and then you said like you felt revitalized because Definitely. there were so many layers to Ellie Escobar, but <laughs> on this tour, you're only able to yeah. like show one layer and then you, you're not that, really able to show everything. Yeah. That's the thing that I envy the most about them right now because they have like an experience party. And that's mm-hmm. what I like to call them. It's like one of those things where you can go there and just be like, I would have never thought to play that. Or, right. yo, he actually got that off? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like one of those. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, that was a hip-hop record. That just could be any record. This could be any record. And you just find yourself like, they're going there. And right. it's not, it's 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 geared to a, like, a more savvy, more, I wouldn't say intelligent, but more experienced crowd. A more open-minded, uh, open-minded yeah, 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 a very, uh, it's 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 not like you're dumbing your crowd down, and that's mm-hmm. you know right. you can show the strength of two very intelligent DJs, and then they give you the gamut of good music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I always when I was like you know just uh, grinding and playing you know the, the clubs doing the circuit, I always looked up to uh, like I was was like damn, I want to be like. Rich Medina or Bobito or, or the guys that do Body and Soul because they have their night and people actually come to see them because of the music they play. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, but I was just like, but I'll never be like that because I'm not so I'm not like out there <laughs> like, you know, like how do you even promote a party? But right. it all kind of just weirdly fell into my lap. So, but it's funny it's you strange. mentioned those names because those are like for me the same names. I used to look up to Rich, yeah, Rich Medina because he could play anything, right? Even mm-hmm. though he, you know, ultimately specialized, he could play everything. Spinner. He could play everything. Yeah. He specialized. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Stretch could also play anything. Yeah. You know, he's known yeah. for hip hop, but he can play anything. Right. Tony Touch, you know, Goldfinger. I was like, those for me, mm-hmm. those were the five guys that like, they each have like their strong suits or yeah. like the, their favorite yeah, yeah, joints yeah. they like to hit, but they could play anything. Right. But I mean, it was like APT, the first time I ever, um, so when, when APT opened up, the first, one of the first moves they made was to give uh, Bob Monday nights. And um, we had been there together on a weekend just to see the spot. And I was like, it's cool. I don't know. I mean, APT is one of those places we look back on fondly because of the music they played and also kind of what it represented during this particular time, right? Mm -hmm. But the room itself wasn't that great. It was just a really narrow bar. Um, So the first night, the first Monday night Bob has, he's like, yo, Ellie, I'm sick. Can you do it? On the opening night. Yeah, on the opening night. I was like, it's going to be crazy. And uh, it was a snowstorm, and oh, no, and wow. literally it was me and the bartenders the whole night, wow. and I was just like, I mean, a snowstorm is a you know an obstacle, but in general, I was like, not one person came here. Like, Bob's <laughs> really got his work cut out for him. <laughs> right. For like a month later, it was like yeah. the hottest Monday night, yeah. like mm-hmm. especially totally. amongst a certain group of people. Um, so, what year was this? 
probably 2001 okay. or something. Um, so to me, that was just like, I couldn't believe it, like that he could actually just word of mouth. I mean, he didn't have, there wasn't Facebook, whatever. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth, he, he packed that place out on Monday night. So that always seemed like kind of a good goal to, to kind of like strive towards to be able to do that you know but it's also interesting when you start to travel and especially when you go to other continents and mm-hmm. they're like so what kind of dj are you what kind of music do you play yeah yeah well, you know hip-hop r&b question. dance yeah. hall yeah, soca yeah. house yeah and they're like so do you play everything i'm yeah. like yeah doesn't everyone it's not, play everything? It's not right. as normal right. there right. in other places right as right. it is in new york definitely not no. in europe right. no <laughs> definitely not in europe yeah i actually i did this um place in uh in london called brixton jam and then uh it was like a thursday night i didn't charge like it was like a low fee gig but i was like i want to i'll play i'll play like this is weird the way my mind works i'll be like the mind negotiating is i'll play for less if i can dj longer <laughs> <laughs> so i was yeah. like yo let me play from the yeah, 10 to, to 4 or 5 whatever and i'll you play get to set the table and yeah do what i just you need to do. yeah, yeah. it's just more fun the yeah. more fun i'm gonna have the less right. money i, I need right. so i played this place and a, and a big crowd came out and then at one point, I had enough vodka sodas in me that I was playing Mary J. Blige and Brand Nubian and all that stuff. Because wow. whenever I get a little drunk, that's where I go to because that music mm-hmm. is just so important to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times once I'm drunk, I'm like, now I'm going to play the, my, you know, the music of my youth or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of the uh, London people were like, kind of like, like that to me. Like they couldn't believe that I would change genres up from like right. just really? disco and house. Yeah, and it was like. Was, did it upset you? Or I mean, I was drunk enough that I didn't really yeah, care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you, I was like, you can go because there's enough people still dancing, uh-huh. and I got a dance hall set coming up, so you're not gonna be happy for a while. <laughs> no, I, I think really from that standpoint, New York crowds of people who came up even before my time, right? Like yeah. in the '70s, in the '80s, in the '90s, in the 2000s, some of the most well-rounded definitely, music listeners definitely. in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I say it now because. For the past four or five years, I've been traveling the entire planet, and every country I go to, I'm like, "Oh, this set is not working. Yeah, yeah. Let me like rewind and go back to the regular program." Mm-hmm. And, but when I come back to New York, even different from other parts of the United States, like you just play everything, and you never run out of music. It's incredible. Yeah, you can play old and classic from six genres, mm-hmm. and, and new, old, new classics from six genres. Do you feel the same way when you approach a night? I mean, if you had a, a whole night, do you, probably you, not you, Momo, but like uh, any of you guys, Goldfinger, even Never or whatever, like you'd rather spend six hours Every, and control No matter the night. what. Yeah, I'll definitely Is that would. the same for you or not? You, um, you're if, fine? If I, I'll, I can play a one hour if I'm playing with like-minded guys. Like if I'm playing with guys that are going to pull, oh, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, or if yeah, they yeah. have the same type of aesthetic. Yeah, not they don't necessarily have to play the same records I'm playing, but just have that same mindset mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm gonna go in my bag. I'm gonna I'm gonna get some shit off. You right. know what I mean? Like you gotta have that type of. That's why I, normally I don't play with too many other DJs because a lot of people have different motives, and my thing is mm-hmm. the party. Right. It's not even a, even about me getting off. Sometimes it's more about the party yeah. than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nev, I mean, Mo, you probably don't want to spend a six-hour set ever, right? Or you don't. No, I, I, I wouldn't mind. I, I feel like I've been, I've been doing my own parties for several years now. Yeah, that yeah. I'm spoiled, uh-huh. so I have to know what I'm getting into if I'm playing for six hours. But I could DJ my parties for six hours without a problem. The reason why I don't is because there's more of a community thing now. Yeah. If I went around the country DJing everyday people by myself, everybody would mm-hmm. be like, yo, why is he hogging the set? Right, like, right, right, right. There's right, X right. amount of up and coming yeah. DJs. Uh-huh. There's like vets in every market. Like 
I feel like I need to put everybody on. So it's more of a community thing. But yeah, I would love to play six hours. I mean, I feel like I always feel weird. Like you land in a city and like Berlin is a really good example. Mm-hmm. Berlin is buck wild because you'll land. I'll land in Berlin at like, you know, 11 a.m. Right. And the promoter will pick me up and be like, all right, so maybe put you on early tonight, like maybe like 530 a.m. Or something like that's early to them because they mm-hmm. go nonstop, and I'll be like, I have to just like that's stay tomorrow. away. That's tomorrow. That's like, tomorrow. <laughs> like I'm excited to DJ. Just let me DJ. Like, like, and then you, I know. This is Welcome it. to New York. <laughs> this is the York podcast. Yes. New York City. Thank you. And then you show up to the club. I usually try to get there an hour early to to listen to the opener or the DJ before me. You get there and the, and it's been going on for mad long. It's in, it's like in, in full swing. Yeah, I feel like. Like I feel like I'm, I'm not like oh man I can't wait to grab this crowd. I'm, I feel like I'm at a disadvantage, right? Because I didn't get a chance to absorb, to absorb. Yeah, yeah, to to feel the crowd, to watch people yeah. come in and see what they're into, and yeah, it's like you know. you're doing recon. You yeah. have to do recon. Yeah, even yeah. like if I'm playing at a spot and I've never played that spot before, I'm going to that spot the week before, mm-hmm. just to get yeah, an yeah. idea who's gonna be there what you know the ratio is mm-hmm. you know what the vibe is when i'm not there so i know what to bring and what to fill in right you know what i mean and i think one thing that maybe like the four of us have in common including you crooked is we read the room right so we well, don't never, have these, never two yeah we don't have these sets and of course <laughs> <laughs> dj never sorry about that my bad you're not a, a crowd reader never is that we don't necessarily have like sets that yeah. are prepared so if you don't warm up your brain isn't warmed up. I, I you know get, songs don't come to you yeah, as fast. I agree. I yeah. get nowadays. I get extreme anxiety about openers and closers and just switching laptops. Oh god! And it's just like I switch my laptop and I'm set up, and then a manager is in my ear saying, "This table's here, this table's there, and that table's there," and then automatically I'm in like, "All right, I'm working for the club. I got to do what they got to do. I'll keep the energy up." But at no point, and I always said this, like I'm literally a whore. I'm at no point am I like, I can't wait to play this record that I like. I'm just like, yo, what are the necessary records? What do I need to do to keep everyone here to make the club money? And it just becomes that focus, you know, yeah, throughout right. the whole thing. And I become very numb. And right. I, I, I actually, and it's one of those things where I want to open the whole, I want to open and close and I want to do the whole night. But as soon as I start doing that, or if I ask the clubs to do that, there are these opener and closer DJs that aren't going to work. So uh, this brings me a question I have for you guys, since I don't really DJ these, like, you know, oh, it's kind of, is it open format? Is that like? Yeah, open format. Whatever. (laughs) So I can remember like being, you know, when I started, I started DJing in 93 and um, in, in my senior year of high school. And then uh, right away in college, that following fall, I guess I thought I was decent enough to do parties because I was doing parties in school. And um, I don't ever remember having that feeling of like, oh man, there's three hours left. What am I going to play? Mm. It was like just endless amounts of good music. You didn't think about it. You know, it was like, yeah, it was like um, uh, the new stuff that was coming out was, was amazing. Not that I think the quality of music is bad now, but... I just didn't and it would seem like you could play a lot of stuff like you could play like um album cuts from brand new Man or album cuts from the first star what was that first the first tribe album had on um, footprints that was like a yeah. record yeah. you play in the club nobody knows that song totally. now like mm-hmm. right. yeah um and uh 
You guys were playing that in a club and then Footprints, yeah. Footprints was a club record. Yeah, that, that was, was a club really, record. Yeah. And then when the snare still dropped, wild out. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Big when that when that beat dropped, yeah. that's their best song. I I yeah. think it's their best song. That was a, be, that was a big dance floor. Yeah. When really. that jump dropped, it just yeah. used to wild out to that shit. That's and so boom. crazy. Yeah. Lucky Lucien used to rip. Yeah, oh, Lucky wow. Lucien. So and and then like even up and so then when I came back from school um and was doing clubs, I remember you know, it was like things started to get a little bit more like the the um like the late nineties was when like Bad Boy was like the influence of Bad Boy was was spreading right like yeah. the Beat Nuts would put out records that had shakers or like all <laughs> yeah. these little things that was like re- records were getting more clubby or whatever yeah. but it was still really good music and then I can rem- and then fast forward to like my last days kind of as a, a basic like a open format club DJ like that casino gig I can remember that feeling of like oh my god what am I gonna play. Like, how am I going to make it to the end of the night? Because right. so many records, you could only play the chorus, and then people would lose interest mm-hmm. by the time. Some records, you would only play the chorus. I bet you that's still happening, right? Yeah. And, um, What's so now? But the, what's yeah. worse is that it's new records. Yeah. So that's still happening yeah. right now. So like, it would be like the biggest records. Yeah, Everyone's right. requesting that record. Yeah. Everyone's waiting for you to drop it. Right. Just as soon as, that, just and as, soon as the first seconds. chorus goes and it and goes into gone. the verse, they're bored already. It's right? done. You got to get out of it. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And for for us, that's even harder because these are like the ammunition, which would be the music that is given to us. Yeah, it's over in twenty seconds. It's over in yeah, twenty yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that, like, like you were mentioning when you said you were DJing in the early nineties, and you were like, I, you know, how could I run out of music? I wasn't thinking about the three hours. It was because, like you guys said, you guys were all about the music. You were collecting records for years and years. And you were building this ammunition up and you were like studying the music. You know what was dope. By the time you got kind of started doing the clubs, you knew like a, a, like you had a wide catalog of music that you already had. Whereas DJs nowadays don't have the catalog and they have the skills and they're just kind of going into the club. And it's crazy because you had to play records and then you were playing the records a lot longer because you were you playing were. vinyl. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then you were bringing them back. You were doing, you know, yeah. you were showing a little bit more skill mm-hmm. with that. But you were actually playing with less because it's a lot less than 100,000 records in your laptop. I know right. that for a fact. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. And then, so you were playing you, like so one, you two, you were be, playing two verses. You had to be tactical. You had to be a little yeah. bit more tactical if yeah. you were good. I mean, there was always that thing. I remember there were certain records where you would just play one little part of it to right. get to another record. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were records like Mona Lisa where you had to play till the end when the girl starts singing, right, right, you know, like, right, right. so it was, it went both ways. But yeah, you did play. I mean, sometimes now when I listen to like, um, ain't no half stepping, I'm like, I don't really know the third verse as well as I know the right. first two verses. And I realized cause right. I never let that third verse right. play in the clubs, right. you know, right. but, but yeah, you would play a lot. The songs would play for a lot longer. I think when you were doing uh, the, cause like when I remember when we were mentioning Dexter and I kind of like laughed a little bit and you're like, Whoa, what's so funny? No, I, I, oh yeah. yeah cause yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, what, the whole thing is that when we were doing, when we were during that time when you were on Dexter and I was traveling, we were doing all, we were on the road constantly and it was such a grind. Right. And I knew at that time you had to, you must've been like very like, damn, I'm so glad to be, you know, have all these opportunities. But it must have been so draining, and a lot of us kind of hated DJing. We didn't hate DJing, but it was just so because of the traveling, the traveling uh-huh. and stuff like that. Right. And I was just wondering how that affected you, because I know, like, right. with, with in some cases, with like guys that we know, like Rocticon, <laughs> it actually ended up like kind of fucking up, like just wearing him out and right. just having him want to take a break and like literally mm-hmm. retire from DJing for a few years. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, it's interesting because I actually. 
I haven't traveled since uh, January 25th, 2019 mm. because I, I had a daughter. Nice. Congratulations. So, Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to, obviously. Uh, but I guess, during that Dexter period, you know what I mean. You yeah, were yeah, on yeah. the road. Well, so, so I'm about to take my first trip this weekend for the first time since January. And uh, the, the other day I was in the park. I went, pulled up the Delta app. And I was like, there's no outgoing flight for Saturday. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I don't know. Somebody, uh, my, uh, somebody messed up. And I had to get a flight. And it's more expensive now because they didn't do it early and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, man, I hate traveling. Yeah. Like, I'm already, like, dreading this. And it's, and it's only, like, a real quick trip to Toronto. But uh, it's just that part of it. Once you get to the city and you, and you like, you know, uh, for me at least. But the other thing, there's a difference, right? Because the right. Dexter days, I, I didn't really like the music I was playing or the, the um, atmosphere of the clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think I used to feel kind of like... Uh, when I was playing for Dexter, when I was doing those gigs, I used to kind of feel like, why do they, why do they have me here? Mm-hmm. Like playing the same records that everybody else plays. Maybe I can play them a little bit differently or a little bit better, but it didn't feel like uh, it didn't even feel like they knew who I was. Right. It was just like you're a guy that's that's friends with DJM or you're on Dexter. Mm-hmm. Now when I travel, it's like the people that pick me up—they know my records. They, right. yeah. They've heard my sets on Boiler Room or whatever, and uh, and I know that they they know the the sound that I do or like whatever, and they want that. That's why I'm there. So it, it's a very different experience. And um, the other parts of it are are drag, but at the same time, you have to be a fool to complain about traveling the world for music, right? Yeah. yeah. A little Goldie. Yeah. Th- 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 <laughs> there, there was a time when you were doing like every. <coughs> major party in new york like every big club every industry event did you then start traveling or did you just withdraw no i did both i actually did both at the same time um i wanted to make it well a lot of the clubs started closing at the same time that actually that started happening um and then i started making my inroads we're making a little bit more of a corporate push i could say right just clean up the crowd a little bit because it started getting a little weird, a little little grimier towards that, you know, um, I guess you would say the t-shirt era, you know, like 2002. So it started getting a little, you know, so I started doing a little bit more like um, just just different, different, different crowd for the most part. Um, but New York's just changed so much and it's more, it's more so, New York is really, um, <clears throat> felt the effects of this whole Disneyland type of situation. Like when they went to the 42nd and kind of like tried to squeegee everything out and make everything kind of like corporate, I guess you could say. Um, It took a lot of the character away from New York. And a lot of people that were going out to clubs, just it just didn't feel worth it anymore. You know what I mean? People just like, it just, Eh, you know what I mean? And then you had a lot of people that moved, a lot of transplants that's here, so they don't really know the culture of what New York is. Right. And that brings a whole different type of energy mm-hmm. to, to you know, where you congregate and where, you know. And right, and that's why you have all these beer gardens in Brooklyn and Bed-Stuy. <clears throat> all these people move to Brooklyn and they think, well, this is how we hang out yeah, in where the Pacific we come Northwest from, so or whatever. Here, so let's yeah. just do it here, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's a different mix. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know the scene in New York, in Brooklyn right now. You know, I'm, I'm, me and Neva has been in, in Vegas. Vegas for like the past. I mean, New years. York, New York is just, um, it's, it's wide open now. It's yeah. not like it used to be downtown. Yeah. Right, and yeah. then, 
Um, I think 9-11 had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. A lot, 9-11 kind of like, you couldn't go into the city for a little while mm-hmm. uh, after 9-11. And then after a while, just like kind of got creepy to come into come to Manhattan to really kind of party. It was, just, it was like a lull. You it know took I mean? a while. It took a, it took a long while. Like yeah. actually, um, Envy was like one of the, the, the few clubs that kind of opened up after 9-11 we were kind of like our proximity to no uh, world trade was pretty close yeah. you know what i mean like 15 blocks but we were like the closest downtown club that started off and like yo we got to get back to you know doing this this party shit right and then that kind of kicked off and that was actually a great time in new york because it was like everybody was yeah, a lot new of Yorkers. people say that yeah, yeah. everybody was yeah. new yorkers everybody yeah. was together mm-hmm. and then the music and mm-hmm. even though it was like <clears throat> It's ironic that we were all together in the music. New York was beefing. Everybody was beefing right. at that time. You had Nas and Ether. You had the Jay Z takeover. You had you know, the Fat Joe. Everybody, Mob Deep Block, Nas, yeah. Mob Deep. Everybody was beefing. Yeah. So it was dope, but it was the energy was there, and it felt like New York. You know what yeah. I mean? That was probably like the most unified New York has ever felt after nine eleven. Everyone was like, yeah, yeah. together and yeah. shit like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, yeah. It was a, it was a good time. It yeah, was yeah. a real good time. It was, <laughs> it was a real good time. Uh, what do you call it? I wanted to talk about, because uh, I'm so curious about it, because me and Momo had this conversation about like Biggie having a ghost rider. And <laughs> but I, before we go into that, during the 90s when, when Biggie was just everywhere and you were DJing, you were DJing the parties and you were DJing with him and like what, what was, you know. Well, to tell you the truth, I wasn't that hot when Biggie was out biggie was out i was doing like mixtapes i was still at the store right i was doing my parties but i wasn't that hot like Uh the hot djs around about that time was like flex because he just got on the radio and then stretch armstrong was of course big because he was on you know he was on he was on fire it's clark Um, kent already clark Clark kent was was all city he was like he was like one of the few djs that was he could do any party he wanted to he was turning down two or three parties a night Kid Capri was Kid Capri, right. but Kid Capri wasn't really in the city. Yeah, he in was the yeah. 95. He was abroad. He was, he was, traveling. That's he true, was yeah. doing yeah. Def Jam. Def Jam. He was, he was yeah. everywhere. That's true. Um, so you had like you know the mixtape guys were the guys were, that were really moving the needle mm-hmm. at that point. And if you were on the radio like Flex, you pretty much had Law of the Land. So when Biggie came out, it was more if you was hot in the mixtapes, you were good, and. <clears throat> When Biggie came out, it was like it's kind of like a tidal wave because he brought a lot of people that normally didn't go out to the parties. Yeah. They were just like, no, I don't really party like that, whatever. He brought people out the hood to go see Biggie because everybody knew a Biggie in their neighborhood. Everybody mm-hmm. knew somebody like Biggie. Right. And then Biggie was kind of popular in Brooklyn, so it was like everybody knew Fat Chris. It was like one of those type of things. Right. Yo, Fat Chris. Yo. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like he was like the mayor. You know what I mean? So it was like one of those type of things. So when he made it, it was like, yo, we got to rep. You know what I mean? Right, right. It was one of those type of things. And then everybody was really, really doing well. Like Wu-Tang came out and Black Moon. And then you had Nas. You had a nice movement that was coming in at that time. Yeah. And this was the Brooklyn Chamber. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is the Brooklyn movement. And everybody just got behind it. It was what it was. Uh, what do you call it? And then so... Me and never, I mean, me and Mo were talking about by the second album of uh, Life After Death, right? For Biggie. Right. When he was like, this is after Junior Mafia, this is after One More Chance remixes, this right. is like after he's kind of like a bona fide star. Right. And then Little Kim and all of this right. stuff. 
at this time, MoMA has this theory when, like, kind of Mace was in the back burner that Mace was ghostwriting some of Biggie's lyrics on, like, let's say, more money, more problems. My, right? my theory was based on the fact that when Biggie had a new flow, right, right around the time that Mace came in yeah. on the same songs as Mace, when I'm, I'm meaning the 112 remix, uh-huh. more money, more problems, and potentially some of the verses from Hypnotize, I was like, the flow just sounds so similar to Mace. All right. I can explain that. Now, me being around and being really cool with the staff and actually just being there with all that stuff, it was a two-year period where Biggie wrote four albums. Yeah. He wrote the Junior Mafia. He wrote the Little Kim. He wrote the Ready to Die. And he wrote the, the Life After Death. But he was also writing the Puff album. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. was in between his album and the Life After Death. So it was more or less... In between that time of 96, it was the album was actually not called No Way Out. The album was actually called Goodfellas Hell Up in Harlem. Yeah. So it was an introdu- it was an introduction to these guys Maces and the Black Robs and the Loxes and stuff of that nature. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those guys were taking their cues from Biggie more so than anything. Mm-hmm. So when they went away, those records were priority for Big like the versions that you would hear would be, oh yeah, big romp romped off of that. He may use it, he might not use it. And if he, you know, if you put something on it and he liked it, he'll keep his right. stuff on the record. You know what I mean? Because what you're saying about Mace, yeah, his flow, Mace was actually quoted from Big to be, yo, he's my favorite rapper right now. Mm-hmm. Because he made pop records like or he made girl records right. sound easy uh-huh. because he was very simple with it and big's flow at that time it wasn't so much his flow it was more or less what he was trying to say into his cadence mm-hmm. so he was more or less yo nas everybody's giving props for nas because he's rhymes so so right. he wanted to prove a point more so with his rhymes because he had just came out of that whole, I'm grimy. He was doing an Onyx style. He was doing, you know, his voice was up. Then when his voice changed, then he gained weight. It took different forms. Not saying that he wasn't influenced, but I'm saying, ghostwritten, no way. No way. And then, no way. Mo, you, your argument is that to make an album like Life After Death, a double album, right? That was my argument that. At that point, you're so busy. You're doing award shows. You're traveling around the world. It takes some shooting music videos. It takes you a put out like, a double album, and then you see it in in, in today's culture of hip hop that a lot of people look at it as a collaborative effort. And to me, somebody like Puff, who's really pragmatic, I don't put it past Puff to just have writers collaborate sure. on his well, number one's artist project. I was, in, I was in a lot of those sessions as far as as far as when they were doing a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. But Big was actually away from the gang for about a year and a half. Like even when Little Kim was out, he wasn't doing any, he wasn't doing any like appearances with Kim on the road. He was letting them stand alone. He was in that car crash. He was in the car crash. Right. Also, he was, laid up. he was he was laid up as well. Yeah. And then another thing was too contractually, he knew that. Uh, at some point, he was going to be out of his deal or he was going to be able to move on and be able to make his own company. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it was a lot of different stuff that he was doing. He was actually, um, how you say, stack the deck. He was kind of like building currency to, to, to make right. his, next, his move. next move. Right. So it was, a, it was a lot of stacking. 
a lot of yo give me this 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 because he had a, he had beats from everybody i mean like he even had dilla beats a lot of people don't know wow that he was rhyming over dilla so he was getting beats from everybody because he was the top dog yeah he was the top 100%. dog so him making records and him doing stuff was nothing it was just that he didn't get a chance to record a lot of the stuff because it was like he was in his head yeah or you know what i mean you know that type of stuff <clears throat> see what i pictured was like during that bad boy era right it was daddy studios right everyone's daddy studios i'm thinking i don't i've never been there there's multiple studios everywhere there's one guy who's like working on like there's one guy producing one song another guy producing one song the locks is one room little kim's in one room you know biggie's in one room junior mafia's in one room everyone's kind of coming in and be like yo yo that's dope that beats dope let me write a verse and everyone's just kind of writing a verse and everything and everything's just kind of like getting mixed up and mixed around and then they're like all right it's time to make biggie's album we want to do a double album and then biggie's just hearing these beats and maybe hear more money more problems and he hears maybe it's a mace song you know what i'm saying and then did he take and then big ends up like yo i want a verse on that and then maybe uh, Mace's last verse, or there's a verse with Mace that where Biggie just kind of takes takes some of the words, or I'm, I don't know if he like he would have rhymed Mace's joint word for word, but you know what I mean, where he was just like, I'll take that song and I'll take this song. But at but at that time, yeah. and and just not to deflect or whatever, but at that time when people would write records, they would kind of write it in a we made it together type of situation. Yeah, so yeah. even if you had laid your verse, they would try to do something to where it was similar so it made sense. But like I, even with the yeah. even with the Brooklyn's finest, they're using the same flow over that beat, uh -huh. Jay Z and what's the name, but they're doing different things. Yeah. So it wasn't like, yo, Jay wrote for big. It was just that they used the same pattern. Right. Right, right. You know right, what right. I mean? You know, and then and then a lot of people don't know that with the puff joints a lot of times, it wouldn't even be Big rhyming Puff's joints, or it wouldn't be Mace rhyming. It would be a Jada Kiss one time. It would be a Styles one time. Mm -hmm. It'll be it was, so he'll get it from different places. And historically, Big didn't like to stay in the studio because Puff would nag him. So whenever Big would go to the studio, it would be, "I got this joint and I'm laying it today, and then I'm breaking out." Mm -hmm. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it, that 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 type of Kanye type of feeling that you're saying, yeah really wouldn't happen what happened more so with the r&b type of records more so than anything and if you look at it on on life after death they went to jamaica on some relax relaxation shit yeah, yeah. and big wasn't a, wasn't able to get around like that you know to, you know to to, to be mobile mm -hmm. but they went there to you know to record the album and stuff like that all those songs were already pretty much done man to have been a fly on that wall yo. yeah i know also, you, can you, I add one thing to this? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually went to school with Mace. And um, I remember when he left school because he got signed to Bad Boy. It was like, we had a lot of the same friends. I didn't really know him more than just saying what's up. But everyone was talking about it. Like, yo, Mace got signed to Bad Boy. He's leaving. And um, he was really tight with uh, one of my apartment mates, Chris. And he told me that Mace, he was like, yeah, he's riding for Puffy. Like, he's, he's yeah. he, you know, mm -hmm. which is not a surprise to anyone, right? <laughs> yeah. But I feel like he would have known or he would have confided to him or told him if he was writing for Big, too. You know what I mean? That would have been kind of a major thing to brag about, right? And yeah. Mace oh, totally so, changed up yeah. his style from when he came out, from when mm -hmm. he was with Children of the Corn, from when he was with Big L, from and, when uh, he, even when he was with, with the Cam. Locks. Yeah, yeah. Even when he was with the Locks. And the Locks 
that record was 98 niggas done started something came out in 98 yeah. with dmx mm-hmm. and it sounds nothing like the the one two that he was doing with yeah. more money more problems right, it was right. like you know what i mean so well, if you look at the way hip-hop changed from when big came out with um his first record it was on the who's the man soundtrack so that's 92 and then by the time Elmatic came out in 94 the way people made records between that time till till just two years later was drastically different yeah because the tempo slowed down but the stakes got raised also yeah and and people stopped shouting you know they started like Nas changed everything he Mm -hmm. changed everything and um I wouldn't really say that no really really? I wouldn't really say that because because Tropical Quest was a lot that's true that's true but I never really like I always put Jungle Brothers and De La and Tribe kind of like in this own universe of like they're like hip hop is here and they're just kind of like on the outside. Yeah, but, you but you're right. But, but tribe kind of entered that. The one. thing is, yeah. it was like you, if you're if you're looking at it from when it came out, you got the low end theory, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's ninety one. That's right. the big album. That's the, the yeah, pace setter. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you got ninety two. You got the chronic. That's the pace setter. Right. Then you come out in ninety three. You got doggy style, midnight marauders. Those are the pace setters. Mm-hmm. Then you got ninety four. You got Nelmonic. It'll matter. That's a whole different type of type of pace. Right. It's a whole different right. energy, direction, everything. So from year to year, it's like those, you know, they call it the golden era for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it changed. Also, 93, Wu-Tang came out. Yeah, of yeah. course. But I remember well, when, the when, uh, when Ready to Die came out, I remember listening to it and being like, I could tell he made this, this record, record in 92. His voice, his yeah. voice dropped. Big Papa was clearly like a 94 record. Right, right, to me, yeah. the loot right, was a 92 right, record. Right, you know? right. yep. Because yeah. he's been sitting on these records for yeah, since exactly. he was signed with like a, a, right, a right, year right. and a half or right. something like that. Right. Even even the, the references, what he was talking about, he was talking, you know, yeah, like, you know, yeah. it was like it was dated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when he came out with Who Shot You, it was like, yo, I'm here. So it was no reason for me to be doubted. Like, I'm the dude. You know what I mean? Well, when he came out with The What, I mean, I think I heard the what before the album came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is. He, he was, just changed his whole. Right. Yeah. Because he sounded. His voice got deep. He was calm. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? What do you think, Mo? <laughs> I'm, I'm dropping the charges, Your Honor. <laughs> charges dropped. Case dismissed. <laughs> Me and Never did not believe that shit. One second. I know, right? It was so crazy, though. Like, the way in that. In the that episode of the podcast when we were talking about it we were so cocky and disrespectful though like like when i look at the video of us talking about it like like at mo, like moments moments like, arrogance of like me asking like so did you thought mace wrote for for big and you're like oh without a doubt and you were like of course oh, of course shit. of course you know and like in the video and I thought that was so hilarious. And I'm sure. And you and you've been telling me that you and Goldfinger have been going back and forth. You've been yo, taking it personally. Yeah, I hate, I heat up his DMs. Crazy. <laughs> I was yeah. like, Yo, Mo, we gonna fight. Yo, I'm gonna see hands. We gonna see hands. Yo, I swear to God. And it was that cockiness though. It was just like, Oh yeah, put out a doubt. You know, he. he it was good content, content, bro. It was good, it was content. good content. Yeah, it was great content. content. Got a lot of views. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of Brooklyn motherfuckers was mad at you, though, oh, right? God, yeah, God. God. I was mad. <laughs> Um, what do you call it? It's, uh, so wait, let, as we enter like the, I guess, I, I got to talk about this because you have this coming up. 
it's like a Tiki Disco. Oh yeah, ten year anniversary. Uh-huh. Right? Oh, uh huh. Right. Yeah. You've been doing that for ten years, and I, 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 I it wasn't up to me because Moma told me a long time ago, don't tell anyone how long a party's been going on because that dates you. No anniversary. But there's we three of us. Yeah, there's yeah. three of us involved, and in and um, one of the one of the guys just blasted it out before I. Had I was just say because I saw your promoters, your ten year anniversary. Yeah. So now I just gotta roll with it. Once you yeah. put it out there, you know. Yeah. And so I mean, so how did that party start? Uh, and yeah, the way it par- the, that party started was um. Did it have anything to do with what you were what you were going through? Obviously, you know, identity crisis wise. Yeah, right? kind of just <laughs> after just like. Nah, you know. I mean, like, you know, no, nah, I didn't have any. It was just uh, I can. So with our first summer was 2010. By 2010, I was already kind of, uh, I think, fairly uh, done with with doing like the um, the the club grind that I was on. No, nah, that's not really true. I don't know. I don't really remember. Uh-huh. But it was a new, a little bit of a transi- transitional period. So I think sub- I was doing this party at Submercer that was kind of popular. And uh, it was, you know, a house music and disco night and um, and playing. With uh, Lloydski? With Lloyd. Shout yeah, out to Lloyd. Shout out to Lloyd. And uh, and other stuff like that. Like trying to, you know, just change my direction and try to, try to make a name for myself uh, uh, in a different way. So, uh, and one of the big things I was doing was i had a, a blog <laughs> so, uh, stereo- say, so I, stereotypical I love, by the way i love that blog you thank said. you thank you the blog thing kind of was like a big uh big deal for me because i felt like i could finally um you know uh talk about the music i, I really cared about and like um it was so easy to use mm-hmm. so i could i was talking about everything that i really liked from like being a kid like music comic books um old clubs like just that whole kind of thing and you also used to post like 12 inches personal 12 inches yeah i would rip my 12 yeah i don't know it was just the name of the blog was outside broadcast and what what did that where that come from um on the there's a clash song called this is radio clash and the dub is called outside broadcast Mm -hmm. um so i kind of like a little bit got my name out there from that blog like because it was like all of a sudden like wow i can just reach people all over the world i came to the internet kind of late side note um so at first I, I kind of like used to make fun of my cousin because he would be in chat rooms and all this. Oh, I'd be like, let's go outside, you know? <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, then in uh, 2010, uh, uh, this guy Andy Pry writes me and Lloyd a message. And I guess me and Lloyd had kind of made a name for ourselves locally with that party at Submercer. Mm-hmm. And he sent us a message and was like, I, I bartend at this place called Roberta's in Bushwick. Um you guys want to come play records one day outside? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to Bushwick. Like, <laughs> I didn't know it was starting to gentrify. I was right. just like, mm-hmm. I don't even think I had ever been there before, you know? And I, th- I thought he was out of his mind. And just, yeah. just and, letting uh, uh, all our non-New Yorkers know, Bushwick is Used like to be crazy. Fu- like, yeah. I mean, Brooklyn in itself, Red Hook, Bushwick, yeah. Bed-Stuy. Yeah. Bed-Stuy. Yeah. Like, really, f- I mean, yeah. f- it was fucked up neighborhoods. I mean, like, if you didn't know anybody then, you, yeah, didn't, you, wanna you, you didn't, feel, didn't want to be there if you didn't know anybody. Yeah. Right. You had to feel comfortable in a bad neighborhood to go there. Like, yeah. you wouldn't just go to a bad neighborhood. I mean, growing up in high school, yeah. hearing about Bushwick and Red Hook was just scary. Like, the <laughs> shit we were hearing about, you know? Just yeah. Being, yeah. And then, plus, being in Manhattan, like, it was just like, you know, Manhattan, it was cool to go uptown. It was right. cool to go to the Bronx, but, like... It was like another. For some reason, going deep down in Brooklyn, it was like a whole different. Well, it's like East New York. East New York was like another world kind of thing. It's like because like Brooklyn motherfuckers would kind of fuck with Queens motherfuckers, and uh, Manhattan would fuck with Bronx, Mm -hmm. and it would be kind of. For us, it was different. Like when you go to Brooklyn, it was like, and then you know we would listen to like Mob Deep, 
Like you, you know, like listen, we would listen to like Jay Z, Marcy Projects. We would listen to interludes and be like, you know, we met a shorty from Brooklyn. Like we would get set up. Like we like try to go to her. We try to go to her building or yeah. something. And I mean, all true. By the way, all true. All yeah, true. That's true. When I was growing up, my uncle lived in Flatbush, and we would go once a year for Easter. And I remember it just felt like I was driving to like another country. You know, like it just yeah. it was so far removed from where I was. Anyway, so. So he was like, so we, so I, t- I texted Lloyd. I was like, you want to go to Bushwick? And, and D- he was like, yo, I think it'll be fun. Let's just, let's just give it a try. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we went and it was like, I was actually going through footage of that first summer for, um, to, to put up on Instagram. And I think even our busiest night might've been like a hundred people max, mm-hmm. but it was like just something about playing records outside that didn't really happen i believe i hadn't had any experience doing that you know maybe uh the do-over uh, had you played the do-over no not yet oh yeah i had played it once yeah right in 2009 i think so mm-hmm. and they used to have roller skating in central park where they would have a dj play and i used to go there a lot and um but overall i, I didn't feel like that was like a and and um, what's it called soul summit right. right but but i didn't feel like i didn't have any experience playing records outside it just felt amazing and like when the sun would go down and and the crowd that came was you know a lot like some friends but this whole other scene that i didn't really have experience uh playing for and they were really open-minded and just kind of down to to dance to to anything yeah and i I, me and lloyd looked at each other like yo this is it this is it we got to do this every other week all summer quick anecdote i dj'd the second (laughs) ever because the original idea was that andy pry was going to have different guests all summer and me and lloyd were like no we're gonna be the guys <laughs> and then you guys yeah. basically just we strong had to it. travel you and lloyd were away no so no he just booked you he didn't because we were away he wanted to originally have it be him with different djs i think wow yeah you were just booked it you wasn't because we took were food away. out my mouth yo <laughs> <laughs> okay and now and now his party but has like built, five he, times hey, as many people but he built on. a legacy so yeah. you know you gotta give him <laughs> nah but bro it, it was meant it happened the way it was supposed for to happen for sure yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that party was definitely made for Andy Lloyd and Ellie they're just like it was a perfect match yeah so the first summer was cool and like we were really excited the second summer we announced the first one and there wasn't I don't know how we announced it because it wasn't Facebook invite yet but there was Facebook there was Facebook but not that thing where you post a party and then oh, you invite right, right, it was right. just um and we got there and and uh pretty soon there was like a line like a two-hour line to get in and it was free it was free Mm -hmm. and uh and by the end of the night so the first the first tiki disco of the second season is in my top five parties i've ever dj'd like i still can remember every moment so vividly like you know how you have those nights where like you, 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 I still remember the first time I heard Danny Crivet DJ. I remember mm-hmm. the first time I heard you DJ. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can remember songs and like moments. Like, then they played that into this, into that. Like, I have memories of that night that are just like, I feel like I've been chasing those ever wow, since. Man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, trying to get it back. And uh, that was when I realized like this is a special thing happening. You know, and uh, and it was cool to also like, like I said before, like I didn't recognize like. 50 60 70 percent of the crowd mm-hmm. which was a nice thing like okay like i'm getting older but like maybe i'm gonna still be able to keep doing this because i used yeah. to think like well djing is gonna be a rap when i'm 35 mm-hmm. you know like yeah um so yeah then so the, like uh now we're at 10 years we we've, we've switched right. venues like three times to accommodate the growing numbers of uh people we didn't want people to wait outside for 
for three hours to get into our mm-hmm. and you, you guys know? currently have it at the well we have it at the well which is, a, is in bushwick in and bushwick. it's big and it's yeah. it's intimidating actually to, to every year i'm like how are we gonna fill this place but we do and it's uh, still doing all vinyl um we play mm. a lot of vinyl but it's not like a a rule we have okay, the cd players right. too oh, okay because there's so much new music i like to play and edits mm-hmm. that i make uh, all right. yeah but i do like to bring records out uh when i can yeah um for no particular reason i'm not a purist at all but uh i just like it it's fun um and yeah it's crazy man it's been amazing so and you guys do it every every other sunday every other sunday yeah yeah crazy thing about it is that their parties are like these are like the remedies for new york nightlife if you're talking about like you really want to have like a really good function Mm -hmm. these are the type of events more dj based more dj curated yeah. You know what I mean? Controlled and shit yeah. like that. That's the remedy for it being like, yo, what's wrong with New York? Nah. The way yeah, to do yeah, it is yeah, to yeah. have right, right. the DJ right. be involved with the party mm-hmm. and then create the night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if I really, if I'm keeping it real, <clears throat> the dance, dance, dance party, the everyday people party, his party, yeah. fucking spin his parties when he does like Wonderful, he mm-hmm. does the Prince versus mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of, you know, DJ curated events that are like, the, the originals the originals mm-hmm. party right. it's like those are the best parties in New York at this present time yeah I mean the things really shifted because like it used to be like you'd have a Derek Corley or a Bill Spector or right. they were the promoters right. right right they might have some sub promoters right. right and then they hire a DJ and then at some point it became like can this DJ bring a crowd not even that right. it became 15-20 promoters now, now yeah you have, that yep. and, and you have 15-20 promoters and you have 15-20 35 yeah. different directions. And then they would book like five then, DJs a night. Yeah, and then everybody yeah. is, you know, looking to get their little oomph uh, from, mm-hmm. you know, from the event. And then now it's not even about the party. It's mm-hmm. about my look and mm-hmm. my, my, my little um, drink tickets and, you know, bottle at the end of the night. Yeah. Right, right. And, and, and then now it's a shit show. So a lot of the good parties, I think, that, are, that started going on recently were like DJs kind of taking matters into their own totally. hands, I guess. Totally. Right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and then it's also the day party aspect too. Yeah, that's definitely. And then since we started that, I mean, day parties are everywhere now. And since <laughs> since he started uh, everyday people, everyday people. I mean, now the, the clubs like it's almost like if a new club opens in Brooklyn, they have to have a roof, right? So they can do day parties in the summer. Now, like, the day parties were out like when they were doing like um the the meatpacking district, but they were kind of douchey. They were yeah. like bagatelle. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're, that's they're, right. They're, yeah. They're, 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 they're champagne they were, brunch. They were champagne yeah, brunches, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they were douchey. Yeah. When and was this? Different. This is like literally right before we started Everyday People, like yeah. 2010, 2011. So it was, it was popping kind, off in the meatpacking. It was kind of like a lava brunch, like an EDM, EDM exactly. thing. People but, dancing but on the tables. Were, were, unlike, you know, Lavo's a full-fledged nightclub, those places were just restaurants. Restaurants. Right. So you have like sunlight coming in. It feels, it felt like daytime. It felt exactly like daytime. Like you walk out, you're wasted, and it's yeah. six o'clock. You're like, oh shit! Like it's six o'clock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've been here since, you know. Yeah. But it was full on brunch mode. But it was very bridge and tunnel, but but very douchey though. It's yeah. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Even if you wanted to like just the yo let's, let's let's see what's going on. It was just it had that real slime to it. You know what I mean? Slime. <laughs> I have a question, Goldie. Are you noticing that? Are you spending more day parties, or do are you do you spend any day parties? Or I don't, that's not really my thing. Not not at all. And then uh, another thing is, why do you think people are gravitating to day parties? 
because um, the economics of it. Um, also, because um, people have responsibilities and shit. You, you get older. Yeah. You have kids. You know, sometimes you don't, you, you know, the recovery time of you getting fucking wasted and late at night. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. waste two days. Like, you know, yeah. you can go out in the day afternoon have you know still see some sunlight okay cool you know i could take the train and i don't have to drive right so it's a, it's a lot of different and then, factors honestly it's just also like availability like when totally. you're a minority it's hard to get these slots on friday night at the club on mm-hmm. saturday night at the club they they usually relegate us to sunday uh, night let's talk about that though because hey i'm glad you brought that up because i've been I've, I've been hesitant about bringing the the race thing up as right. far as we do, it DJing, has a lot to do with race, but it has a lot to do with race and even positioning. Like as far as with where DJs are at, you know, in certain points of their career and stuff like that. Like yo, um, I feel different when I'm playing a record, and I could be playing like a pop record, whatever like that. Like I'll get looks from people in the crowd. They be looking at me like, "What the fuck is he doing?" Mm-hmm. But I'm playing a hit record. I'm playing a, a actually good record. You right. know what I mean? It's probably pop now, but I would have been playing this record four months ago. Uh-huh. You just happen to hear me play it now. Right. But then it's like if I play something like older or retro, I still get those same looks. Like if I got a three, I got three fucking heads or something. Like what the fuck is going on? From the crowd, you mean? Yeah, like yeah, it'll yeah, be people yeah. like you know, like and I'm in in the adverse. No offense, but I've seen like white DJs play the hardest of the hardcore hip hop and get no looks at all. Right. Like. MOP type gangstar album cuts like they're not playing this to dance to though he's getting away with playing this like right. you can actually play this yeah but it has a different connotation if I was to play that same record it would be you know oh shit what's going on you know what I mean can you give me like, an example of some of the songs that you would play that would be considered uh, like pop yeah, and you I get did a look I, I, did a, I did a party two weeks two years ago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I played I played the Bee Gees yeah which I is played, a Bangers. I love the Bee Gees. Bangers. And that shit rang off, but when they looked in the booth, like, they was about to give me their hands up, like, and they looked in the booth like, oh, shit. Like, this this guy explained the Bee Gees? Like, yeah. what the fuck I is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, it's, you know, it's... Like, um, just to, to go back on a, on a point, DJ M, when he was out, yeah. he used to come DJ a lot of times at my parties, so he would go to, like, Etoile or fucking Cheeto mm-hmm. or even Envy, you know, and these primarily mostly like mixed black or uh, Spanish, Puerto Rican, you know, parties. Yeah. You know what I mean? So predominantly that. And he will be like, yo, how do you think I'm going to do here? I'm mean, like, yo, just play hip hop. You dope. Play hip hop. Right. And he would go in and he would do his set and it, it would just be like, yo, he knows about Rock the Mic. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, what the fuck do you think? You know, he's playing hip hop, mm-hmm. you know? But he would get, uh, um, I think not a pass, but they wouldn't scrutinize him as much. Right. If it had me, me, me being me playing, uh, fucking, you know, um, pussycat you know, dolls. Yeah, which is a banger. Like, yeah, which is yeah, a banger. yeah. For, for a yeah. white crowd. For a black for, crowd too. Oh, for a black crowd. Black too. crowd or a white crowd. Like it would, it would, you know, you get. It would be judgment. Uh, yeah, yeah, it would yeah. be judgment with it. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm curious to see how it's gonna be because now that Afrobeats is taking over, like yeah. it's really having a real presence. How is that going to translate to when other DJs have to play that music? <laughs> White DJs start right. playing that. You know what I mean? Like, it's and, and it's good music. But it's, it's good happening. Music. It's happening. It is happening. Yeah. But I'm just saying, are they going to have that? Because when I play Afrobeats, I do get from the crowds. They can take Latin, 
Mm-hmm. But if I play Afro beats, I would probably have to sweeten it with something very, very, very commercial as far as reggae, just to kind of soften the palate. Right. You know why, what I mean? Well, why is that? Explain that. What is the judgment? Well, just just so for me not to lose the crowd, it's yeah. like you kind of you know when you're introducing new new stuff, it's kind of like the sandwich theory. You have to give them this, right, and then. Put something that's familiar, and then kind of sandwich, you know. Yeah, layer. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, kind of like you know, make sure that it, you're covered on both ends. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you're gonna give them something weird, at least have it, you know, where, you know, you get you have some type of backup. Right. So when I like play Afrobeat, and it's it's not to the crowds that I'm doing now, maybe it's not as familiar as it would be as Moma's crowd or Eli's crowd, you know, mm-hmm. with their with their parties. But if I'm playing it. You kind of got to um, kind of sugar them into it. Right. So let me play um, Sean Paul. So I'll play that because everybody's like that. Like, oh, okay. Right, right. And then I can play that. And then maybe I can come back with something, uh-oh, something like that, you know, right. that they kind of know right. just to get that record off. I got what you're saying. Until yeah. they get trained to hear it or they have it on their own time. They'd be like, oh, that's the record that they play. At the other club that I went to, oh, I guess it's popular because more people are playing it. So, like, I'll be in Vegas and I'll see, you know, and I'll and I'll obviously be, I'll have a hip hop crowd or a mixed crowd or whatever I have there, and then if I just start playing Afro beats, I'll immediately see a response from people who know it or who, who may be African or Nigerian or whatever, and they'll go off and they get super excited. I guess from hearing it in Vegas and then looking and seeing an Asian DJ come up and, they get, and they'll come up and they'll give me a pound. They'll be like, oh, this is dope and everything like that. But I'm just wondering, is there a judgment if it becomes widespread, if Afrobeat becomes like, you know, you know, at a point when reggaeton was kind of like huge, it was like Gasolina, Oye Mi Canto, that whole, that whole time. And then the way mainstream treated reggaeton, like they were just like, all right, y'all ain't got no more hits. Like y'all kind of done. Like this genre's dead. And then it, there was like a dead season. I mean, people did that with Baltimore club music too, yeah. right? And they kind of appropriated it. Well, they were like, yeah. I, feel like I feel like it's a little you know? different because you, you had a gateway drug to reggaeton, which was dance hall. Right. 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 Back then, DJs were playing hip hop and dance right. hall, so you could introduce reggaeton. Right. Mm-hmm. I think DJs from like a commercial world trying to play Afro beats right now, yeah. that's like really deliberate. It's right. like really intentional. Right. Like, uh-huh. how are you going to introduce this? Right. You're not playing any dance hall. Right. Mm-hmm. You're playing mostly like hip hop in right. the club. This is, you're just trying to get some stamp of approval or you're just trying to keep up with the times. And that's why it's such a struggle to watch all these people try to introduce Afrobeat in their party in a way that's not organic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and the crowd is like reading them for that kind of? Is that what's happening? It depends on the crowd though. Oh, no, okay. I, I think just, you know, a lot of DJs are trying to either keep up with the times right. or they they genuinely love Afrobeats. But they can't figure out But they didn't do anything up to that point in their career to be able to introduce that right. to their crowd. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's all cool. Like, something got to give. You're going to take all the big club checks and you're going to take all this casino money Right. and now you want to play cool music, good luck to you. You're right. not, That's not how it right. works. That's not how it you works. actually have yeah. to pave that way right. so that when the new music Bingo. comes, you're able to drop it at the party. So me playing Afrobeat in a, in a mainstream <laughs> Well, Vegas you actually room. play quite a bit of reggaeton. Yes. And, I love reggaeton. And, and you still play dance hall. Yes. You're one of the few guys that tries to do all of that. In yeah. Vegas, I mean, yeah. Until they, I'm pull sure. You. I'm sure some of the managers hate when I do it, but I right. just do it anyway. Right. Never, never would be the same one of yeah. those guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we also have like really deep New York roots in club 
in the clubs where we would have to know reggae sets. We would have to know everything exactly. and we'd yeah, have to play to everything. And but it's not only that, though. It's like, I think race is playing a little bit more into a lot of the music because, like, for me to play, like, just say if I wanted to play Old Town Road right now. Right. And if I play it and it's like kind of mixed crowd or whatever like that. Yeah. I kind of got, I kind of get that look like, is he serious or is he joking? Do you, you get that from black people? I get that from all people. Right. What so is they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out. All right, like, so we got to help Ellie out. First <laughs> off, first, first Old Time Road is, is a black record. It's, 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 um, it's, it's a black a country, country trap. Country, yeah. country trap record. And it's like the biggest record. Country trap. Well, it's, yeah. it's a black, it's a black, a young trap. black artist. <laughs> uh-huh. He's it, it, named it, Little it, Little Nas Little Nas X. X. Oh, I heard of him. And right. on the Play. remix, who do you get on the remix? Billy Ray Cyrus. He got Billy Ray Cyrus on the remix. Just because uh, he had to get Billy Ray Cyrus because they were just to justify the country. Yeah. Oh, because it already sounded country as it was. Right. But they wouldn't allow it to be country because they said it had too many. Elements of hip hop and other stuff. So I, I actually want to play it. Billboards. I actually want to play it just to see if, if uh, Ellie fucks with it. <laughs> it actually samples Nine Inch Nails, Ellie. So yeah, yeah. In a while, like I only know one Nine Inch Nails song. Close, <laughs> closer. Is it closer? No, nah, it's oh, not okay. closer. I don't know anything. Like a B side cut. <laughs> I like this. This is history. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached, head is mad at black, got the bushes black to match. And so this this so this artist fairly young kid, right? Right. Yeah, he yeah, wanted yeah. it to chart in the country and they wouldn't let him chart in country. And then Billy Ray Cyrus got on the record. Lord. And it started charting on the country. All right, now in that instance right there, now that record gets played. Now I'll yeah. get looks from the black crowd, the white crowd, and they're all trying to figure out. First off, he's got balls. He's playing his record, right? Mm-hmm. But then they're trying to figure out: is this a joke, or does he really want me to react to this record? Right. So now you got the people that are looking at it like. If I react too much, if I'm a white guy, <laughs> if I react too much, if I'm black, is, am I trying to? You know what I mean? It's like, is this record it's like, like big in, in hip hop clubs? It was, no, it was number what? one song in the country. It was number oh, one song oh, for oh, number five weeks. Yeah. For like and five Billboard weeks. number one. Yeah, Ellie, I put so it this now, way: it, it beat uh, uh, it beat God's Plan, Drake, in streaming first week streams. Right, 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 right. So, so by a so, lot. So now lot. it's like it's it's like a conversation. Sometimes I play records just. So I can get people to talk while they're at the party. Right. Like mm-hmm. just records, just so when you go to the bar, they're bringing up something. Like, you know, it could be current events or just something. You know, right, I'm just right. trying to get you to interact. Right. So if I play this record and I get a reaction, because one reaction is better than no reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I get you to react. What What's really going on? And mm-hmm. we're having a bigger conversation about this one record. Well, let's, let's look, let's, uh, let's categorize it in a club setting. Okay, like in in a different club setting, if we're DJing in uh, a mainstream mixed crowd club, are we playing this record? I definitely am. Yes, right. Yeah. If I'm in Vegas or if I'm in New York Marquee, right, I'm playing this record. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm doing a, a predominantly hip hop quote unquote hood party, am I playing this record? No, I probably won't. No, you might. Yeah, see, well, that, that depends might. on. It depends on how I sell it and how I play it. Right, that's what I'm saying. So it's all about the sell. It's all about the sell on that. But now, if I'm playing it for a predominantly white crowd, 
what is that saying about the record and what is that saying about me playing the record? So and that's exa- a whole different conversation. So exactly like, what am I tap dancing right, right now? There you go. Bingo. I might have and and this is crazy because in this time right now, yeah. it's like it's not like it hasn't happened before. But race is playing a way in how you're DJing and mm-hmm. how you're being perceived as DJing. So exactly the way you said that, me DJing a hip hop quote unquote hood crowd, being Asian, there's already a judgment on me. So if I play, and little, have you always felt that way? Of course, really. Yeah, I have to. I have to prove myself. Right. Right. As, as soon as they see me, they're like, "What's going on here?" And then as soon as I, if I play Little Nas X, it kind of further validates. You, if it fur, further validates that he shouldn't be here, right, he's playing right. this. But shit you right might now, get you know away. I mean? with, you might be able to get away with it. But it will still so come off I, as ignorance. But no, you part. might be able to get away with it. Yeah. Whereas me, I might get disclaimed for it. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the crazy thing about it is, and here's another part. Well, well the thing is, I will give, I will get disclaimed as well. I might get disclaimed, but they were like, uh, he don't know no better. That's but the, but the, the crazy thing about it is that the technology has a lot to play with it as well. Mm-hmm. Because now with the technology, everybody feels like they can be a DJ. Now, mm-hmm. if I was Larry Levan and Old Town Road came out in '84 right. and he played it, Larry Levan's a god. Because he's got heart to play this record that may be cross-generational, right, cross-genre, right, right. this, that, and the third. Right. But he's going to play this record. And you know what? Why the fuck did Larry play this record? But a lot of but that- being that so many people have computers and they're so-called DJs now, mm-hmm. it's like you're going to get that DJ because it's going to be like, yo, my man could be a DJ. He could have played that record or he could have not played that record. It's the individuality. The specialness of the being an individual mm-hmm. playing a record that's a little left for center right. is a little bit less now. You dig what I'm saying? I, I definitely dig with you. I mean, Nas. I mean, Nas. Mm-hmm. The never. Yeah. <laughs> little yeah. never X. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little never X. We've always, we've always talked about this where, like, you playing rock, like, remember in the early 2000s, you doing, like, clubs. Yeah. And you being, like, a black DJ uh-huh. and playing rock. Yeah. And stuff, and then like the judgment of like if you play too much hardcore hip hop and you're DJing for like a bougie white crowd, mm-hmm. there's the judgment that yo he's a black DJ playing hood shit. Yeah, and then if he's playing like rock, it's like another thing. It's like oh my god, like I didn't I, know. I kind of get a pass. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, it's, you know, he's playing enough rock, it's all it's all good. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's that ju- there's always that judgment. It's kind of like the thing where like but, sometimes like women DJs can play some of the hardest core hip hop. And it kind of did. It's just like, yo, she's she's down. She can. Or the most misogynistic type shit. They yeah, can or the play most, fucking. Right. Yo, I've I've been playing with a. I played with a female DJ, and I'm not gonna say like a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and she played fucking. Her first record was "Ain't No Fun If the Homies Can't Have None." Right. First record out the gate. Yeah. <laughs> first record from the top. Dun, 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 dun. I'm did, like, she oh shit! She, she, she from the, the top. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Come on, man. I mean, but, when, when you but, when you hear actually like wait wait before I interrupt, are we okay to say female DJ on the podcast? Because Moma is the advocate of woman DJ. Uh, I mean, I try not to use the term female DJ. Some some women don't mind it. Yes. Some do. Yes. So I just try to say she like you know. Okay. She. Uh, I DJed DJ. with this young lady and she played blah blah. Okay. Blah, blah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. We have this conversation all the time. That's fair. But yeah, what were you saying, Ellie? Sorry to interrupt. I was just gonna say I feel like everybody should kind of feel a little bit weird when they play 
uh, Ain't No Fun if the homies can't have none. I mean, like, it's like one of those records, like, at the time, I kind of just was like, it's another one of these records. But right. when you listen to it now, you're like, I can't believe. Yeah, it's, it's a couple yeah. of cringeworthy <laughs> records. It's a couple yeah. of cringeworthy records that you like. It was, it was okay to just make a yeah. song uh, literally yeah. about gang raping. Yeah, it's very, it's very rape. And, yo, it's and, and, rape and to tell you the yeah. truth, it's like now as I get older, I'm playing a lot more clean versions of records. Mm. It, just, it just feels better. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I tell you, when I play Norway Get Nothing, I, I take out the nigga part. Oh yeah, I used what to. What you want for do, I, nigga? For some reason, I take it out. I don't let that part ride you anymore. I know. I, I play the dirty version. Well, that's because but, no, you when that part so comes many up, white people. I was about to say yeah, it's that, weird when you when, uh, that record was always really popular with white people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was weird the, when they would sing that chorus so confidently, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. so when I play, I do play the dirty version. But yeah. when that part comes up, I always like start from the beginning. Oh, instead of saying nigga, I go, what you want to do? Oh, uh, I got the clean version too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, I came up, you know, DJing in New York to like really mixed crowds, you right. know, black, white, his, Hispanic, Asian, other. And so the, the settings were pretty intimate. So you'd cut out the music and people would say nigga. And it was like, it was all right. Mm-hmm. And then once I opened for you at light on a Monday night in Vegas, this mm-hmm. is maybe like eight years ago, right? Oh, okay, okay. You sure and, light and, or jet? No, jet. It was jet. It, was jet. it could have been jet. It was yeah, jet. Yeah. And I'm doing my opening set, trying to set Crooked up nice, and I'm playing Biggie. And he goes, and if you don't know, now, now you, you know. know. And muscle memory. I just cut out the music. And I just looked at 800 white people go, nigga! <laughs> and I was just shook. Like, I almost forgot to bring the Let's music back up. back up. I was like... <laughs> like, I gotta think twice about when I'm doing this. <laughs> never, never, that was the one record, right? Uh-huh. That you would kind of like. You were always iffy about, or like you would it would bother you sometimes. A little you, bit, yeah, yeah. That one is just yeah, that one is it's like a PTSD. Yeah. And then, then it says, yeah. then it says the world trade blow up like the world, the world trade. trade you're yeah. like, oh yeah. god, yeah. it's like. Oh, god. <laughs> <laughs> You're like this shit is a landmine, yo. It's like this, this like it is a landmine right now. Yo. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird. I mean. It's I don't know. I, yo, can we go back to like the um, about the white DJ playing hip hop? Yeah, and that the black crowd was like, "Hey, he's not. He should be doing this." Yeah, would this have ha- happened ten, like ten or fifteen years ago, before Trump got into office? No, it has happened. Yeah, yeah, not not as much. I don't think it's not, not as much. Not as, not. No, totally, not really, man. Totally, no. totally has happened. Nah, totally. a white DJ playing hip hop and the black crowd was like, "Yeah, totally." I've seen it happen a lot. Really, a lot. A lot. I, I mean, mean and I've DJed with a lot of white. DJs. I mean, I've DJed with Mark Ronson. No, I've DJed with Ronson. Ronson can get her off. He's savvy, and you know he has a. That's a, that's a perfect has, example. He, he has, got away with rocking to all black crowd. Yeah, we know it was can, like he can do they, it. They I, I do saw, it. I saw, you know, Ronson, of course, do it. I saw, um, what's the guy from Scribble? What's what's the guy from um from LA? The, the he's like eight track, but he's not not eight track. Um, he's like AM, but he was out when AM was out. Big 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 DJ. He used to be on the radio for a while. Vice? Vice. Oh, Vice My is boy Vice. Okay. Vice is Mexican. That's another one. Yeah. Vice. Vice is Mexican. Vice. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I didn't Mexican. know that. But I don't think his following knows that. <laughs> no, but no. yeah, I don't oh. think his following knows that. He's Mexican, but can't speak Spanish. They do, do. They do know his... But you're talking that. about race. Mexican yeah, I'm talking about ethnic, ethnicity. I'm talking about yeah. as far as him coming to New York, <laughs> him playing in front of a right. black crowd, and then you know, like him getting, you know, yeah. like he, him being able to DJ. But nowadays, if that happened now, they wouldn't get that same reaction. I'm not sure. Well, here, here's sure. what it always is. I feel because I mean, I've I've DJed for a lot of hip hop crowds, and I've I've 
remember when uh, you, you linked me up with Big Stan? Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. doing Big Stan parties. Yeah. Oh and then God. shout out to yeah. Big Stan. <laughs> shout out to Big Stan. Where wow. you at, Big Stan? <laughs> and I just knew I had to know my shit. Like I couldn't go up there and not know, like you know, how to how to play before I let go and how to not play. You know. Uh, you know Shalimar or any of these I had to know that shit I had to know my reggae Mm -hmm. and then even when I did like you know reggaeton parties in Washington Heights I had that judgment I always had judgment everywhere I went it's not like I'm saying like oh I've been like you know it's unfair I didn't think it was unfair but I knew that I always had to prove myself Yeah. and the thing is is that you prove yourself by really going seeing seeing the crowd and seeing how deep you know and it's like when I break down a, a Las Vegas hip hop crowd now there's like a down south hip hop crowd yeah. that is not open to certain hip hop and they're not open to certain R&B or classics right. and then yeah. there's like a west coast where like a cutie pie goes over a lot better right. than right. you know what I'm saying like than a than a before I let go but or, a lot of yeah. it is you cultural know, too it's a lot of it culture, is cultural yeah. too so you ha- you got to kind of be tapped in right. to know that these records like if you played the second verse of Before I Let Go, you better let it play all the way through. Right. You can't cut can't that record off. Or if you're in New York and you're playing hot music, you might want to let that record play out right, too. Right, you know right. what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. and, and it's cultural. You have to kind of get those yeah. little those and, little cheat codes and into also, finding out. Yeah, and it's seeing how people react, whether, you know, you know, it's just black people are not all just one type of black people. Right. There's, there there yeah, are a right, wide right. range of black people. Right. Exactly. There's a yeah. wide range of Asian. There's right, like right. Chinese, mm-hmm. Korean, everything. Yeah. So it's like really knowing like, oh, th- th- oh those guys, are from, you know, this is like a down south crowd. Oh, yo, they're from the West Coast. They're from mm-hmm. the East Coast. Or they're from like Africa. Or they're from Europe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's really just knowing all of that music and just learning as you go with the experience and being like, oh, they weren't really reacting to this. They're probably from the West Coast. Yeah. I'm going to do a little more zap. Mm-hmm. Like old school shit, yeah. or they're from the East Coast. Like I'm gonna do, you know, I'm gonna do some soul for real. I'm gonna do like some, you know, some other shit like that. Yeah. The best part, yeah. the best part about this whole era right now yeah. is the fact that there's so much fusion with the music. There's so many different styles that are going on that you kind of have to absorb and be around. Mm-hmm. Another thing is that for in order for you to do this shit, you actually have to do the homework now. Mm-hmm. Just like what Mo was saying, like yo, if you're a big DJ and you're trying to Get on the, the Afrobeat shit and be current. You yeah. know what I mean? You have to actually do the research now. You actually have to know why Afrobeat is this person and techno is this person. Right. And that you actually have to study. You actually have to do it. So it's no time for fraud now and you will be exposed. Mm-hmm. That's the best part about it because everybody feels that because they have a computer that they are a DJ. Right. It's not the case, B. And those 20 records aren't going to get you off every single party not facts word yeah steve mm. since we're on this subject right of kind of uh offending the crowd and, and whatnot or whatever <laughs> the judgment of whatever i know that i wanted i know you, you kind of wanted to touch on this and we wanted to speak on and it was uh the whole michael jackson playing oh, michael shit. jackson and i'm like right now i don't play any michael jackson unless and then i you know if i'm in front of a predominantly white crowd I will play the Jacksons because they might not know some of the the records are the Jacksons. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Sunshine and like you know like, like Shake, shake the Body, yeah, living, li- living on, yeah. So like I'll play that because they might not know. Like oh, that's the Jacksons, that's Michael Jackson, and then 
but I've, I've you mean like since his brothers are singing background vocals yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, just, or just because it's not like the biggest pop record right. like right. it's not no, right. it's not right. Right. Jackson yeah it's yeah. not like or bad right. yeah mm-hmm. but I mean in Vegas I've actually you know Jamie you've actually been you got in trouble for playing Jackson 5 yeah I, was, I play I Want You Back and I the next I think the next day I got a text we cannot play no Michael Jackson I was like fuck he was 5 but yeah. <laughs> and I'm like and that's like the most classic. Yo, was he really record. five when he did I Want You He's back? five, six, six, I think. Six, nah, he was like nah, 10 or 11. Oh, okay. He was 10. Same shit. He was a kid. Damn, never fuck. I'm sorry. Get one thing wrong. Fuck, right. But I'm defensive with Michael Jackson. You gotta get your shit correct, man. I was with you when the whole shit was happening. True, true, yes. Anyway, yeah, I got in trouble for playing I Want You Back and I was like, Dude, this is a timeless record. Everybody knows this record from, uh, you know, seven years old up to whatever, 60. Everybody knows this record. And I got in trouble for it. And I was just like, oh, fuck. All right. I guess it's but really it, happening. But it we was really... like it was during the week of, of exactly. when that documentary came yeah, out. Yeah, but and then I played it like not thinking because, it's like I said, it's a classic record that is timeless. That it like. Like way before he was yeah. a kid. He, yeah, he you don't think that. of it much. And then. And then another thing, like I didn't believe much in the documentary. Exactly, he never yeah. didn't believe but shit. Then, but then one of the most greatest things happened, or not the greatest things, but I thought was the most bold, boldest things that I've ever seen in DJing, and I and I never seen it before like that. Was I was at an everyday people party, mm-hmm. and uh, a woman uh, a woman DJ played her first. She she was getting on to start her set. And the first song she played was Michael Jackson. Mm. And it was right around the same week. It was still, f- like, the documentary right. was still fresh. Right. Right. It was the same week. But it was almost like a social, like, uh, it was like a political statement of being like, right. I don't believe that right. shit. Right. Right. I'm playing this, and some people are, like, obviously shocked, and some people are offended. But the way she played it, and she danced to it, and she was having a, a fun time right it was, it was almost statement. like it, it was, was a statement, statement and right. i've never seen that before in djing in my life and i got shivers and i'm like oh she doesn't believe that shit and her <laughs> playing this further is just it's like a it's saying like yo y'all if you guys believe it you guys are fools i fucking don't believe it and this and i'm gonna play michael jackson all right now tell me this now how yeah. do you feel about <clears throat> how you would be viewed if you happen to play a record with r kelly in it now oh no that's crazy <laughs> I, that's I not I can't play it. I can't play it. That I see. You and know, I love, I, you know, because I love stepping in the name of love. I yeah, love because you're that. saying you're saying that she used it as a political statement, yeah. or a, uh, a statement, right? Statement. Um, do you feel like you would have to defend yourself for having to play that record? I'm, like, I'm, just say you played a Jay Z and Best of Both Worlds mm-hmm. and one of those type of records. You know what I mean? Body, yeah. body. You play that with 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 Jay Z. Where she's coming from and where I'm coming from is a different place because where I'm coming from is a love of music, right? And it doesn't. And I've never really, I've never really held the artist. I've never put the artist and the music together. Do you know what I mean? So for me, I can still enjoy "Step in the Name of Love" because I love the song, but I don't. I mean, I'm disgusted by R. Kelly. But it's Ill, but it's ill though. It's like coming kind of like. Pick and choose who we have well, as I think, no, that type of you know synergy right. because the reason why you love Stevie Wonder is because he's Stevie Wonder. So you love the music and the artist the same way. You love Prince because you love Prince, and it's it's, it's almost like that synergy. You love the Beatles because 
you love the Beatles. You know if what I mean? So, but if something ever happened with Prince or Stevie Wonder, I would still love the music. It would be, uh, you can't, it's so powerful to me, the music itself, that I, I, I would just be like, look, the music is insane. I, I can't deny the music. Ellie, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that um, the difference between R. Kelly and Michael Jackson is that Okay, and I'm in full disclosure. I have not watched the, doc- the Michael Jackson documentary. Good for you. I have no plans don't to watch your time. it. Yeah, don't watch um, it. You need to watch it. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> I I don't exactly know why. Right. I have a, I have some ideas about why I haven't watched it, but um, uh, the R. Kelly thing though is not alleged. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Yeah. He's done these things, so mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, the Michael Jackson. I know I didn't see the documentary, but I don't care if. If if people say, oh man, but if you watch it, you'll know it's true. It's still alleged, right? Yeah. Right. At right. the end of the day, it's still alleged, and yeah. the the document, the guy who made the movie, will tell you that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that leaves a little bit of space for making your own decision. Yeah. You can make your own decision to play R. Kelly, also, right. of right. course, but yeah. you might also have the right to be judged for that. Right. In yeah. a way that a person right. who plays MJ maybe doesn't have the right to be judged. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because you don't have to go along with what everybody thinks. Right. Just because a whole bunch of people went to Sundance and got traumatized because they heard gruesome details. Gruesome details are going to traumatize you whether they happen or not. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, yeah. a, it's mm-hmm. a very unpleasant... And a lot of times people mistake... Um, Uncomfortability. With the truth. With the truth. And that exactly. is not always the exactly. case. Exactly. So, you know, that's how I feel about so it. So, mm-hmm. with that being said, are you playing Michael Jackson? Um, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I think that... Well, first of all, I want to be like, I, it's not, I mean, I always played Michael Jackson, but it hasn't been necessarily like, uh, I think, I think that the question is going to be more of a thing for me now that Tiki Disco is starting because it's a good time disco R&B party where you want to play a good amount of songs that people can sing along to and stuff. I, I don't feel like on Wednesday nights we really ever play MJ anyway. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm playing like house and, and techno and stuff, mm-hmm. not really. Um, I feel like I would think twice about it. It would be like if I queued up something. Like I have an edit I made of um, of uh, working day and night because I got like the original stems, so I made like a remix. Uh-huh. I feel like I would I would like queue it up like on instinct, and then I might think about it. I might be like, oh, that's happened to me. Like after yeah. the Michael Jackson situation, I was doing a party. Mm-hmm. I had a Michael Jackson record queued up, mm-hmm. and before I dropped it, I thought about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this and that's that's really fu- that's it. really unfortunate. And so I just right, I, did, we I didn't to, play. I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I played every fucking week. <laughs> <laughs> usually, <laughs> usually, usually it's like you know my first five records. I'll play Michael Jackson just to say. So like, you're making you know, that statement. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, told yeah. you. So I don't play that shit. Are you playing R. Kelly? Um, no, I actually don't play R. Kelly because I love women. No. I'm with you. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and respect. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I just I don't want to. I'm not trying to fuck up my shit. With okay, Ryan. yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't agree with that shit. And it's like, I know that all this stuff happened earlier, and we were still playing R. Kelly's. Right. Kinda, we kind of, whether we ignored it or whether we just looked past it, or it was like, oh well, yeah. And you know, we were being hypocrites about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. is what it is. Yeah. And then the outrage came. Yeah. It's very hard to, after the outrage comes, to be still significantly look the other way and be like nah it's the remix to ignition nah fuck that you know yeah. what I mean it's like yeah. Yeah. I feel, I mean, I feel we're, all in, we're all in the same boat here yeah. I don't think yeah. anyone plays R. Kelly no, no. but it's, it's, some of us play Michael I play MJ right. uh, I just 
I don't play Baby Be Mine. That's weird, right? That's just the one that... Because the name of the, of the lyrics, song? Yeah, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Baby that, Be Mine. And that's one of the best Michael Jackson songs. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that I'll still never so forgive yeah. Chris Rock. <laughs> no, Did you ever see what Chris Rock yeah, said? Yeah. Yo, what was yeah. he what thinking? What did he say? What did he, he say? He was talking about... Um, How Baby Be Actually, going. wasn't he talking about... Our, he was saying something about somebody's album being perfect. And he's Kanye. like, he's like, there's no baby be mine on this album. Kanye, he was talking about Kanye. Yeah, oh. suggesting he was talking about baby be like, mine is a throwaway record. Yeah. When everyone that knows crazy. the throwaway record yeah. is the girl is mine. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like the girl's yeah. mind, but if Thriller yeah. had to have one song, chop, is, that's the girl's mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. definitely not. My only problem is that with R. Kelly, you can kind of the shit that he he got caught doing. And then you think back to the music, you can hear There's a consistency. my mind's telling me no, yeah, yeah. but my body's telling me yes. But that was one of the things about watching. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yo, that nah, bro. Well, watching the R. Kelly do documentary, shit. I think was a, was really uh, difficult for a lot of us because it, it did really, you did really realize like, wow, I did know that he married Aaliyah, mm. yeah, and like we, somehow, we know, right? somehow it was. Yeah. Just Damn, a, for years, yeah. for years, that we would be like, like a setup. You know, like we were talking about anyway, setup records. Like, yeah. We were talking about setup records earlier. That yeah. would be like a setup record for me. Right. Yeah. My I would throw in a bumper and grind, no. and then I would just come on with some ill shit right. or whatever. And I would get most of my reaction from women. Right. And now it's like it's like yo, beyond yo. the outrage and shit, I can't in good conscience throw I, that shit on. But I, if, if I you told front, me a while a while back ago, I did play an R. Kelly song. Remember the song "Be My Girl," "Be My Number Two"? Yeah. yeah. And I was playing that, and I was, I was like, "Fuck, I like this song. I play it." And I'm listening to those lyrics, and I'm like thinking, "Yo, this is he's he's saying he has a girl, but be my number two girl." And you, you start you start yeah, thinking about the shit that R. Kelly's going through, and it's just like, "Yo, this song is kind of." There's a lot yeah. of people. I mean, Atlantic Star had a song called <laughs> "Secret Lovers," but that doesn't mean that they were. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, it's like you sexual TV. Yeah, it's not illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. They, they, Once you know, they, they, they didn't go on. to jail for playing that. Sh- I mean, <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is like, it's easy to hear his songs now and be like, "Oh, yeah," you know. But it's like I'm just like, "Oh man," you know what's crazy? It's like um, this kind of on topic, off topic though. But it's like Jay Z's like getting like the. Yo, he's in the Writers Hall of Fame and this, that, and the third. Yeah. And it's like, I thought, well, I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, yo, you know, Writers Hall of Fame, like, what is he getting the Writers Hall of Fame for? You know, Rory. Like, Big Pimpin'? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, what are these songs, Jigga how Mike. are they going to age? Like, these records, and I think that now, with hip-hop growing into its third, fourth, fifth decade, mm-hmm. that we're going to have to start seeing a little bit more responsibility with where it's going and what's being said because your legacy is going to be determined by these records and if you're trying to do vegas in 20 years and mm-hmm. be a mm-hmm. legacy act yeah you're gonna to have to start really thinking about like y'all actually said bitches ain't shit you yeah. know what I mean? yeah. and i'm not gonna be able to perform this record anywhere right. like, you know i yeah. think about this all the time i'm always like at weddings until the end of time people will play mary j blige real love people will play you know soul for real mm-hmm. but all these other songs are going to disappear progressively. And, 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 yeah, and it's going to be bad because these they're not aging well. They're having real trendy lyrics, like references that are of the day. Mm-hmm. Five years from now, we're not talking about fucking MySpace. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, right. you, you yeah. know, that record is right. gone. Right. Like, who's, who's playing that record? Right. So a lot of, you know, I think that, you know, 
music in general is going to have to do a, a little soul searching and be like, yo, we got to talk about something. But don't you think it's also good to have a record of something like that that spoke? It's like a time capsule of that. That represented but not all the records. something at that but time. But not all of them, though. But I think if you, I, go, if you go through Jay-Z's catalog, right, and you go from the beginning to the end, you, you're actually seeing the evolution of a person to 444. So you're witnessing the evolution of a hustler, right? Uh, and then his mentality starting to change and evolve to what he finally becomes at 444. And that's the realness of hip-hop that a lot of musical genres may not have. You know what I mean? And but you know what? I think it's, it's a lot of records. Though. He's going to be very, very um, embarrassed to perform in five years from now. He's gonna be like, yo, I can't believe. Well, he I just said had B sides, right? Yeah, yeah. Like two weeks ago. Damn, I wish I could look at that, uh, that that song list, the set list. Oh, the, you could, um, you can go. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, I yeah. watched it I on mean, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you yeah. can find it. Yeah, but like, think about like the the four Eric B and Rakim albums. You could you could put all of the lyrics to those albums in a book. And, and read like a novel. And it read, yes, yeah, exactly. It read, it, and that's like, the, literally and that's nothing. The difference. Was, yeah. like the Tropical Quest records. You know right. what I mean? Like you know, the, it, it was flighty and whimsical at times and you know mm -hmm. it was like you know dreamy and stuff of that nature but it's not going to be anything that they're going to be able to say damn yo i can't believe i said that right. shit. except for that one record that one yeah 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 the what the no the one that didn't make uh the georgie Porgy. theory georgie Porgy. georgie Porgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah yeah that's about it yeah i'm trying to right. see if he had a, a misogynistic <laughs> song that he performed jay uh, yeah Definitely. But listen, I think Jay could Feeling be it? Maybe oh. Jay could be, you know, the, the the blueprint, no pun intended, for, for young rappers. It's like right. you don't have to go through uh, a twenty year hip hop career to kind of start making timeless music. Like you have the Drakes, you have now. the you uh -huh. have the you have the Kendricks that are you know, J. Cole's the Drakes, they're 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 having a little something as far as right. staying power with their records. You know what I mean? But lyrically with Drake I don't know about that, man. Yeah, because he talks about topics, talk about feelings and stuff like that. It may be an album cut, but it's definitely something that. There's nothing like really more. deep though, too deep. Well, he does. I mean, relationship like stuff uh, is deep. There's some deep stuff, pause, but nothing compared to Jay Z. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's too deep. I don't want to. I don't want to know too much about Drake's feelings. <laughs> yeah, that right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take care. But, but it's relatable <laughs> enough to where it's not you're gonna get on stage and just be like, I'm a, I'm embarrassed that I said. But for the sure. women you know love what? that vulnerability, like him being that open about his feelings. And he yeah, wins. What, yeah. The, the the question is is like all of these records we're talking about, like Michael Jackson and all of these things that we hear. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you haven't really played Michael Jackson in a crowd and seen people wince and right, like right. and have. Yeah, that I was actually I was out to breakfast the other day and um, they played Pyt on the on the stereo, and the the girl there was like a sixteen seventeen year old girl in the booth right next to me singing along like. Like Bob and I had the whole thing. I get winces. I get winces. You get winces. Win win yeah, I even at everyday people. Oh my god, I've I get seen like winces. You know, ten yeah. percent of the crowd is like, oh, what are we doing here? I play yeah. Remember the Time. Like they're probably just, they're not I'm, sure what to do, right? I actually yeah. play it from the last verse of Remember the Time. That's yeah. how I'm usually bringing it yeah, in now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's like, let me just kind of get to that part where I think you know. Yeah, like a yeah, like a break, like a party break or break beat. Right, right, right. So I'll give you a dose of it. You'll get the gist of it, and then if it's not working. I don't have to worry about the whole record playing out. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you that, and then I'll go into, you know. I, I got to say, else. I've never had a worse feeling, and even, <clears throat> this is when I'm not DJing. When I'm watching a DJ play uh, Michael Jackson, and I've actually seen a DJ play R. Kelly recently, there's the feeling in that room 
Suck the suck the energy. Oh my right? god! It just cha- I wanted to run out. And, my, just, and Michael Jackson too. When you see their reaction yeah, and you yeah, see yeah. the little pockets of people like flipping the fuck out, it's uh-huh. the it's the scariest and most. And I, I'm just like I I don't I, as a DJ I'm I can't even imagine what that DJ is feeling. I want to like leave the room because I'm I have that much anxiety. And then it's one of those things that scares the shit out of me. But it's interesting. It's really it's all about your society. We did uh, everyday people in Johannesburg in yes. December. And the guest DJ, top of prime time, played Ignition. That room went off. Crazy. Right? Yeah. Everybody from the New York yeah. team was like, oh, what are you doing, bro? Yeah. You can't play this record. And we're like, oh, fuck it. Just let but it run said, out. That was you know? a, yeah. Let it play. It's, it's that Bruno Mars record, the, um, what's that? The, that's what I like. Yeah. Like, that was my setup record, Ignition. Yeah. Usually, I don't do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then I would just come in with the Bruno. Bah, bah, and it would yeah. work. And then it was like the outrage came. I was like, fuck. Yeah. Right, the two of myself. <laughs> Yo, and af- after the Bruno, after the Bruno, I would play. Mm, mm, I'm a flirt, and yeah. that shit would always hit. Can you imagine if ten mm. years ago somebody told you you're not gonna be able to play Kanye, R. Kelly, or Michael so you Jackson? Don't play in the Kanye. Club? I don't. I don't play Kanye. I play like the old stuff. People the old stuff works. Crazy, I, I, I play the good life. I play all falls down. See, even Can't when I play that, down. I get a little wince, and then I got to get on the mic and be like, I like the old Kanye. And then nah, people, I don't, I don't cop and like then people laugh. Cop and then people <laughs> laugh. But like, I don't play the new Kanye. It's just like, like out of taste. Like he's got a song with Little Pump. Like, yeah. you don't like yeah. that record? I don't play it. Wow, that I don't play. Rips. It rips, but I can't. It's like a, a, a forty-year-old man with a seventeen-year-old boy talking about all this. Like, it's wildly misogynistic. You're such a fucking hoe. I love it. And I'm like, <laughs> what is Kanye doing? Like, I'm embarrassed by the record. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I think you, as you you're get, playing Kanye. Yes, I've never stopped playing Kanye. Wait, wait, how do you feel about this, Ellie? Too. What are you gonna? You you don't. You'll play Kanye, or you're against it. Kanye oh, right well, I mean, I don't really ever play. Like I told you, I don't really. Anyway, I actually really like um, later Kanye better than early Kanye these right. days. Right. Um, especially Life of Pablo. I don't know. I just. I think that album's highly underrated. It really is. It, it gets a little weird in the middle, like right. like some but songs could have. Five seven records. Dude, just, it's, it's like magnificent. it's like I listen totally. to that and I'm like, this is how good hip hop can be. Totally right. And um, so there was a little bit of time when I would be playing, and then I would play um, uh, y'all the only. What's that right, song? Right, yeah. right, right. Father stretch right. my hands. Yeah, father. Yeah. I would play father stretch my hands. Like like mm-hmm. I I remember I played that once at um, at House of Yes, which is a big house music club yeah i played it at three o'clock and it was pandemonium like people because like no other djs it's not even a brave move like it was a big record but right, like no right, other right, djs right, do it right, right, uh-huh, yeah. and just to be able to do that and then i played like maybe like 15 minutes of hip-hop and then kind of worked my way back up and uh, so i used to do that a lot and i i guess i i don't think i stopped because of anything he did i think i just did it too much or something like that but uh, i just didn't like that last album very much okay yeah. it was all right I like the Pusha T album and the Tiana right, right. Taylor yeah. album. Yeah, right, right, right. right. I still Just listen to it all the time. Little, his standards are a little bit too high for that album. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yo, like and the Nas album is so, really yeah. So I don't have I don't have like a really strong stance on on Kanye. Like, yes, I play Michael. No, I do right, not play R. Right, Kelly. Right. Kanye's in the middle. Like, if I feel like I need to, because I'm yeah. in the jam. I'll do oh wait, I, I'm wrong. I've been playing Otis at Dance, Dance, Dance. Oh yeah, because Otis is Kanye, kind of, yeah. kind of but yeah. not because it's, it's not. I'm not playing it because I'm like, well, Jay Z's right, on right, this too. Right, I just right, right. like the well, record. The flashing lights, R. Kelly remix is off the table. Yeah. That one is totally. off the table. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 
Totally. That was a good remix. Too. But it, it was a good remix. It's better than the OG. <laughs> it, all, it also comes down to the room I'm in. Because if I'm in a mainstream Las Vegas room. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. I'll play the new Little Pump or I'll play the Little Pump and Kanye. Right. But if I'm in a hip hop room, I'm, I'm staying away from Kanye. And that's just because I know. Because he's, he's a symbol. He's become a symbol of Donald Trump. To yeah. a certain to a certain degree, and it's almost like if I play that, that it's like, that makes you. Uh, do you do I does that but, DJ support Donald but, Trump? But exactly. playing yeah. this shit. Exactly. But you know what I mean? But I don't really I don't really buy into that shit. It's like my thing is I would rather throw it back at you. Like I yeah. play what the fuck I want. So my that's my stance. Yeah, you know what I mean. So where I get it. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of fake outrage that goes with that too. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. And there's a lot of guys that have done a lot worse right. than him fucking having bad taste in fucking politicians. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But so, I so so my thing is like I don't really I'm not beholden to the crowd to be like, hey yo, yo, you better not. Nah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, let yeah. me tell you, last year when he he started doing all the MAGA shit last year, right? Yeah, right. Like yeah. August. Yeah. And I think I played uh, Father Stretch My Hands. Yeah, I played Father Stretch My Hands. And one of my partners at Everyday People ran to the booth. It's last year. She was like, Mo, cut this out. People are angry. I was like, all right, all right. No more Kanye, right? Right. And that same person came back to me like earlier this year. She's like, I really like the new Kanye song. I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> so Let go say fake outrage, man. It's, so yeah, it's, it's such it, a weird you can't, time. You can't really get caught up in that because then yeah. you become a lightning rod for every fucking issue. And people are coming to the club to get away from all that bullshit. Mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you feel what I'm saying? Yeah. So my shit is more released than anything. So I'm not trying to get yeah. you controversy. Though. I mean, also, mm-hmm. like, there's, there's so much music. It really been is. made by people who did terrible things. Horrible things. People Dude. who I probably wouldn't want to. I could say James Brown. Yeah, he did some bad yeah. shit. He he like, fuck Rick fuck. James. What? Rick James. <laughs> Rick James. <laughs> Rick James. <laughs> first no, but, but yeah. also Jerry historically Lewis. you have huh? to. Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. Elvis Presley. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So historically you 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 have to look at how the media is going to paint some of these black institutions like James Brown. Uh, Michael Jackson, Bill Cosby. The way the media descends on those people is way harder. We don't know if they got dirt on other people. Yeah, but we don't know if they got dirt on. I feel like they do. They just Rod Stewart, Elton John. We but don't know. This is happening now. That's why it's so. That's why it's so like it's an open wound right now. It's not like a scar. Yeah, but this you know is what stuff, I mean. It's this like, is allegedly stuff that's happened right. twenty some sometimes with Cosby's case thirty five years ago. Yeah. yeah. So it's not really. It's very disingenuous to think that it's a topic for now. It was a topic for 35 years ago. And, and, and you know, nobody and for, said anything. And, and, you know what I mean? And for black people, sometimes we think, like, why are you throwing all your political, legal might to come after our institutions? Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is from, like, decades ago. And like, what becomes, else is going on? And then it becomes a double jeopardy type of situation where we didn't get them the first time, so we're going to get them on this, on some bullshit, right, right, right. just to make up that we wanted them from before. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how really genuine is it i think bill cosby is a weird situation just because we're not playing any bill cosby <laughs> records but like i totally agree with <laughs> not, you yeah okay i'll give it i saying. totally agree with you but like i think like what's going on with kanye that's like an open wound because the youth is affected by their parents and the parents are you know they're seeing how it's affecting their family and how everyone's just being really like upset with donald trump and what's going well, on Kanye's with the trolling he's trolling yeah. everyone but, but you, it, it, you know it, the crazy you know, thing historically and yeah. if you if you know about like history back james brown was one of the most popular artists in the world at one point yeah mm-hmm. and he made the mistake of backing the wrong politician mm-hmm. and got years of backlash 
he he Nixon. you know he backed Nixon, mm-hmm. but he did it for a, a fact that he felt like well being that this guy I have his ear maybe I can gain access right to his situation. It sounds really familiar. <laughs> it sounds very familiar. But then James Brown, 15, 20 years, he comes does the comeback. Do we still hold him for the fact that he did that in '68 mm-hmm. with right. Nixon? Right. He so also is it just the outrage of the moment? You know what I mean? It's Which is amplified by social media. Yeah. Right. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But it, it's just like with the, the Nixon and James Brown, that's a scar that healed and it's almost fading away. Do you know what I mean? If someone wants to bring that up, they can bring it up. But I just think these these are open wounds. Like they're just they're just they're now happening. Like the R. Kelly, I know that's been happening, but it just with the documentary, it just kind of it's like a scar that like got opened up again. And it's like an open wound and it's one of those things where I've never, as a DJ, felt so much anxiety of like I can't play this music because it's gonna like literally like offend people to a different like to the core of like humanity. You know what I mean? Like it's so it's so deep, and it's those times. And these are these are two artists who you depend on a vast. Uh, libraries and yeah like yeah. they're not like oh yeah. that one song is yeah. off the list yeah. it's like michael jackson like, it's like kanye west yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's they like, have so yo, many hits not, not too long ago um chris brown was accused of raping some chick and then for a second i'm thinking god damn i can't play any chris Dude, brown in the club yeah. anymore and luckily those charges were dropped but i was thinking damn there's a bunch of <laughs> like chris brown songs i have to i cannot play <laughs> that sounded hilarious i mean luckily the charges were dropped but that, <laughs> i still got my banger we kind of knew what yeah, chris exactly. brown was about way long ago before that though right? i mean it was just yeah. one incident but still it's just like, but <laughs> i think if, if you if you like rewind you guys 10 I years, i'm gonna go it's getting a little weird if you rewind literally like 10 years from today yeah I think for any one of us here, the most the artists you played most on any given night were R. Kelly, Kanye, Michael, and probably Jay Z, right? And maybe yes. Beyonce, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And now there's like three of them, taboo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know who's next? Like this could go on. Same, this could go down the list. And with social media, it's kind of like it's a petri dish because you never know what you're gonna do mm. that may offend somebody at this point. You right. know what I mean? So you're kind of leaving yourself open for whatever vice you may have or whatever sh- shit to come up. It's going to be like, oh, you canceled. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It's that easy. It, and it, it's, it's that scary too because it's like uh, you could have a whole career and it could get shut down from one moment. You could have been like a, a video could have gotten caught of you playing Michael Jackson and you telling us an offended uh, patron at the club I don't care and that could get caught on video and then everyone could get your at and they could just ruin your this life this conversation right here yeah mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah I'm <laughs> at DJ Neva by the way <laughs> 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 at DJ Crooked <laughs> Little Neva X <laughs> at Funk Flex yeah Little Neva Funk there's a whole bunch of stuff you had a quick question uh, to Ellie since we're talking about iconic, uh, you know, music Momo figures, oh, you, with, with Madonna. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, I'm, I know yeah, yeah, you're like yeah, yeah. the biggest Madonna fan, <laughs> and you just well, want to know why. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, why? <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. Like I, I, I basically, um, you know, I'm just from the era That's of saying, like roller skating. I love the no, 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 Madonna I know, stuff, I know. man. I have a very specific. Uh, we used to go, I used to go to this store called Wings 
On, yeah, I um, remember Wings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On so, Broadway. Yeah, Broadway in 93rd. Third. Yeah. I used yeah. to go to get my polyester Lees uh-huh. and like the t-shirts where they could put the letters on it, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would get like a fresh written on a t-shirt. The, yeah, like maybe like the Playboy Bunny or whatever. Yeah, like Playboy Bunny, all that, and um, and Windbreakers, you know, mm-hmm. the whole thing. The, yeah. And um, and I can remember being there and hearing um, uh, Holiday on the radio. Yeah. And I thought it was um, Evelyn Champagne King, mm-hmm. and I was just like, this is, this is my shit. Like, this is gonna be a big record, blah blah blah. And um, and then I guess I must have bought that album. I I recently discovered this journal that I had when I was in like '84, I guess, mm-hmm. where I used to draw pictures and um, like I used to draw pictures of people break dancing and like yeah. really bad like graffiti when I was nine years old or uh-huh. eight years old. And there's mad pictures of Madonna on the whole thing like i'll cut out for magazines or whatever so i I guess i was pretty infatuated with her back then Uh and i used to wear like stacks of uh rubber bracelets the The black black, the the black black rubber bracelets yeah and um you were a weirdo (laughs) 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 yeah i was it's okay i'm I'm comfortable with it (laughs) but um yeah i don't know i was just really uh intimate intimate. but it's just i like pop music i always did and 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 in those days i don't i don't think i really like understood i was too young to be like uh okay she's kind of like a a little bit of like a poppier version of like evelyn champagne king right right yeah, or yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, or, exactly. or whatever and i liked shannon and um uh all the freestyle stuff the proto freestyle i guess right. that was coming uh-huh. out yeah and, um, right. and then um and then as i got older you know i felt like uh just i was still interested in the music it ends sort of in the early 90s i don't really listen to anything she did after that but uh, mm-hmm. like i think the last song i really liked was the one she did with Babyface, um take a bow yeah but uh i'm just one of those people like i was always like i didn't just get into something i was like all the way i was infatuated with michael jackson infatuated with uh run dmc mm-hmm. and um and prince and yeah. madonna and just all those like you know uh 80s kind of like i feel like the 80s was kind of an amazing time because the pop stars were actually also making the most exciting music. I mean, Prince uh-huh. was a pop star, but he's totally avant-garde, like weird ass music. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he, 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 his music defines genre. Yeah. But he was also the biggest pop star. It's kind of like the way Tribe Called Quest was such a huge hip hop group, but they also were making right. kind of the most uh, accessible records. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But, and and revolutionary, and revolutionary. At, the yeah, time, at the same you know? time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so. You know, um, and then the eighties were kind of like the cheesiest era and the, yeah. the, the best, the era, best right? yeah. musical era. And then the, yeah. and also like I, this could, de- and I, I talk about, I think about this all the time. Like, am I just romanticizing my youth, or is there something to it? The 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 um, I think it's like the uh, introduction of drum machines mm-hmm. and people being able to make music without a band gave birth to all this exciting music that at this point is ruling the world, right? right? House, right. techno, yeah. hip hop. Uh-huh. Um, right. But at the, in yeah. the yeah, and in the eighties, it all yeah. was getting started, and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of amazing. Yeah, you think but about I, and it, I so. think maybe that's why the eighties are so amazing because they discovered that technology, but they had the musicianship coming from the seventies. Right. Yeah. Whereas somebody yeah, 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 discovers yeah, yeah. the technology right. now, they yeah. never made a song. Right. They were right. never in a yeah. band. Right. Right. And but now that's you got the like Kashif. Right. 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 Kashif right. gets a keyboard right. Right. and he's by himself just jamming. Yeah. But that's yeah. cool too. Yeah. Because right. it's that's more of like a punk rock thing of like right. I don't know how to play a chord, but I'm gonna buy this machine and just figure out what kind of right. sounds I can make. And yeah. they make good music. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah. Did Madonna know. come by Dance 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 one night? Yeah. There was this one night when um I was like I got there. Yeah, I got there at ten. And uh, and uh, which is when the club opens, 
And I get in the elevator because you got to take an elevator up. Uh-huh. And I'm, sit- I'm sitting there and the door guy's like, hold on a second. We got to wait for somebody. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just sitting there. And then I hear this voice, really bossy, <laughs> kind of like obnoxious, like, well, I need this. And is that going to be here? And well, what do we do with this? And I was like, I don't know who this is, but they're the most annoying person ever. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> it's Madonna. <laughs> and she walks in. She's surrounded by 20-something dancer type people like you know how she always has that entourage of dancers yeah. mm-hmm. and she's just talking 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 and i'm just there like <laughs> and uh and then we got upstairs and so she was scouting she did a video for some song from her last album at at labane uh-huh. and she was there just looking at it to, yeah. to like kind of scout it or whatever most, most mm-hmm. yeah most famous person that ever came to your party <laughs> right i would say so yeah wow. and she stayed for an hour i mean yeah do, do you count like Drake and Rihanna, they, they're not as legendary. J. Cole came to our party. Yeah, but, but he's not as famous. They're Madonna's, not legendary. No, like, I'm just saying like, oh, oh shit. Like, oh shit. I think Madonna's the most legendary okay. person. I mean, yeah. she's one of them. She's not as famous now. Like, there was a point where you could be like, she's the most famous person right. in the world, right? right. 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 Yeah. And that's been, it's been a while since then, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Rihanna's more famous than her now, but Madonna's yeah. still more legendary. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Yeah, well, she has did the you time. Meet, did you meet yeah. Madonna that night? Or nah, that was another thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not really one of those types of people anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're from a different era. So it's like, yeah, I don't. The thing is, when we were coming up and DJing, like amenity was yeah. pretty cool and right. then you like celebrities yeah. would come in and yeah. they right. just like they just want to chill play the music mm-hmm. get out of their way don't right. ask for pictures yeah. you yeah. know don't take pictures yeah. you know what I mean that type of shit even yeah. just in New York I'm, yeah like I miss people. so much mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. opportunities of fucking celebrities oh, coming into yeah. clubs yeah, yeah, where yeah, I just yeah, was yeah. like on my chill shit right. because I didn't want to you know yeah. rub them wrong yep. or, yeah yeah, like well, the, but um, also back then you didn't have a cell phone that you could take with a camera. You but yeah, but you could have had. But it wasn't even that. Like you know, a manager would come to you and be like, "Yo, Puff Daddy is here," and right. I'm like, "What do you want me to do? Play his songs?" I'm like, "Are you sure? Yeah, because this right. is a lounge. Right. Yeah, right. But we had to make him feel right. self conscious. Yeah, and yo, I ran like a a bad boy medley. And did he like it? He walked out. Yeah. Right. So we had a rule oh, at Bungalow Eight. This, like this was a serious rule. Uh, every DJ who'd played at Bungalow Eight knew this rule. If someone famous walks in. And it, uh, you can't play any of their records. If yeah. you're playing one when they walk yeah. in, turn it off immediately. You almost have to ignore them. Yeah, they so wanna, they feel like they they're feel in a party. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, for some really weird reason, the only time I did ever ask someone for a picture was uh, downtown Julie Brown. Oh wow! <laughs> I, don't I don't know why. I was just like, it was. I was with gems. And do, was, you, do you remember a Monday night at the Good Spot? You were my guest. Yeah, Queen Latifah was slapping me on the butt. I'll yeah, never forget Queen Latifah was there, yeah, and yeah. and you know I was I was with her people. So I was like, yeah. Yo, Latifah's here. Me yeah. and Ellie's DJ. Yeah. Does she want to hear her music or not? And then my homegirl was like, Oh yeah, Dana loves that shit. I'm like, Ellie, go. And what did I do? Wow. You ran this Latifah set. For she real? was wild, and she was in the booth slapping you. On I remember the butt. playing. Um, <laughs> I remember playing "Warm It Up," Kane, and wow. she was slapping me in the butt wow. when I was playing yeah. "Warm It Up," Kane. And I'm like, uh, like her first album to me is like, Holy I mean, Grail. I, yeah, that's Holy her best. Yeah. Like it's what the best. best. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I had I the adverse effect happen to me. I was doing a party at the pier. Um, the South Street Steep, not South Street Steep, but the one on 23rd Chelsea, over there. Chelsea. Chelsea mm-hmm. being a frying pan. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing DJing a party and fucking Bobby Brown is there. And everybody knows me. I know fucking yeah. love New Edition. Right, right. Oh my God. You know, that whole shit. So I throw a prerogative from the top like that shit. <laughs> so everybody's rocking because everybody knows that I'm about to go into my New Edition set. Yeah. And Bobby Brown is there. And he turns to me 
it flips me the bird. I said, oh. Oh. <laughs> but that's a great story, though. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, yo. He could have at okay. least just been like that or something. No, he right? flipped me the bird. Like, uh, fuck you. But like, like he didn't realize that I'm I'm not playing it to play you. I'm playing that's it to, you do. to play you. That's you what I said. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. man, dog, that sucks, yeah. man. How did you if feel? Only he knew how you really like. You are the new edition guy. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Damn, man. Have you, ever, have you ever interacted with him ever again? Oh yeah. Talk can I just say one thing? Ralph Tresvant wouldn't have done that. Ralph, yeah, you can just tell Ralph Tresvant is like the yeah. nicest dude out of all of them. It was like, what did you want for Bobby Brown anyway? Like, what right, exactly. You know, like, it's perfect. It's perfect. I think it's yeah. a great story. Yeah, it's a great. It was meant to happen that way. Hey, um. What do you call it? We're hearing that that time limit right now. Yeah. I wish I could talk yeah. like another two hours with y'all. <laughs> but um, I mean, Goldfinger, can we get you back and can we focus on you next I don't time? Have anything to say? No. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right, man. We, we're gonna try. We'll get you in like a, a crew site for like another crew site. It's gotta be with these guys. Got to yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it again. Self destruction. We'll, we'll yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> hey yo, um, I, I want to plug. Your, your Wednesday party that you guys have been talking about here in New York every week at LeBain, yeah. Dance, Dance, Dance. One of the best uh, dance parties in New York, right? Gotta be. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, yeah. the people are saying that, you know, yeah, yeah, we yeah, appreciate yeah, their yeah. opinion. Yeah, and it's, and the whole premise is just playing any dance music, any genre, as long as it's dance music. Right on. And it's you and, and uh, Ellie, uh, Momo and Ellie, right. playing every Wednesday. And then obviously, Momo, you got Everyday People, one of my favorite parties. And then Ellie, Tiki Disco, 10 mm-hmm. years, y'all been rocking that shit. And then you just got back into radio. Uh, yeah, yeah. Radio Days uh, yeah. on Lot Radio. And you and actually, you you launched it last week, right? right? Yeah. With uh, Bobito. Yep. Everything came, kind of coming full circle full with yeah, that, right? Yeah, for sure. Yep. Which is great. Yep. So everyone, uh, check that out. And honestly, if you're ever in New York, you got to listen to Goldfinger Spin. You, you have to listen to this. Dude. You have to. Yeah. And I, I'm, it's, yo, it's, I can't, this is probably like, one of the highlights of uh, the world podcast for especially me and never being from New yeah, York definitely and man. I love that I could share this with like some of the West Coast dudes and, and some of the younger dudes that mm-hmm. may not have known about you know some of these great DJs and, and the their hip hop the background yeah in the early like 90s to the, like the early 2000s mm-hmm. which was my favorite time of uh, when I was coming up you know right, what I mean right. and I appreciate you guys coming through and Thank uh, you, give a give a hand to uh, Elias Escobar yeah. and Goldfinger. Thank you. Man. And make sure you uh, you follow us on youtubecom slash podcast. Subscribe, like, and comment. Hit the notification bell so you know when we upload every Friday. And then we put up throwback videos on Mondays. And so check that out. Yeah, and this uh this is all brought to you by DJ City and, and good looking out DJ City. And then uh, there socials for Ellie Escobar and Goldfingers. Ellie Escobar NYC and then Goldfingers DJ Goldfingers Goldfinger, NYC. NYC. There you go. Yo, thanks again fellas. All right, Thank thanks you, guys. Uh-huh. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.